A good Tuesday morning to you and welcome to Real Talk on this April 13th. Ryan Jesperson here with you alongside the show's technical producer, Samuel G. Brooks. A good morning to you. Hey, good morning. How are you feeling? I'm good. Feeling good? uh, I I got really, really enthralled by the Yukon election last night. Ooh. It is... I mean, first of all, the Yukon only has 19 seats in their legislature. Um, Currently, and I mean, this is the last time that I checked, it's a tie. There is one seat undecided, which is also a tie at 78 votes apiece. And by Yukon electoral law, this election might literally be decided by a name drawn out of a hat. Which is maybe arguably how all elections should be done. (laughs) There's a really good Freakonomics about that. Depending depending on on who you talk to, yeah, I'm sure people would have all kinds of ideas on on how we could determine who 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 makes the laws of the land. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a cool story to yeah, keep an eye on. That is what's been on my mind today. Is it just it was on the news? It was it was on CBC, which I just had on in the background yesterday, and I just got hooked on it. Good it stuff. Was, it was so fun to watch. <laughs> We're going to be talking coming up in about ten minutes time with uh, uh, he's not he's not a MythBuster. That's not what he wouldn't like. He wouldn't prefer to be introduced that way. Um, and, and I'm sure that he would characterize himself differently. And, and maybe we'll ask him how, whether or not he would characterize himself as a myth buster. But Timothy Caulfield, you, you've seen him on the show before. Um, he's a, 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 a well-published and well-read author. He's hosted his own Netflix series. He's the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy and a Trudeau Fellow, a professor in the Faculty of Law and School of Public Health and a research director at the Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. Sometimes I read bios like that just to keep me motivated in my own personal life. You know, if, if I'm ever like I have all my laundry folded, the backyard, you know, the lawn is mowed and I made time to have dinner with my family. I feel like I'm nailing it. And then you read a bio like this and you go, I've got some room for improvement. Yeah, I, I felt like that last weekend. I got a I got a couple like small construction projects finished and then I did my taxes, which took like Ooh, two buddy. days of spreadsheets. And I felt so proud of myself afterwards. And then, you know, we roll in hot to three researchers the next day. I'm like, yeah, oh, never mind. My, my we, bio we, doesn't matter. But, but, but we can still be proud of ourselves in oh, our yeah. own way. We just can't really proclaim it from the rooftops. We have to <laughs> we have to recognize that there's a there's a you know, there's there's sort of like different tiers of status here based on achievement, intelligence, intellect and the like. And and. and and you and I, well, hey, listen, I'm not even going to put us on the same level, Sam, because I don't even do my own taxes. If I did, it would be a worse disaster than the situation it is. I'm always the, I'm not quite the shoe, I'm not the receipts in the shoebox guy. I'm not that bad. Mm. I have all my receipts. I have everything well organized um, with, with the binder clips. And so I'll have every, like, you know, meals and entertainment, um, you know, studio expenses, things like this, all with clips. They're kind of organized. But if, but, once I start looking at all the forms and all that, I go, uh, seems to me if I put the wrong number in the wrong line, I could end up owing a lot more. Maybe I'll just get somebody else to do it. I'm too cheap to hire an accountant. Yeah. That's that's my thing. Yeah. Well, so I just I learned to do bookkeeping myself. Yeah. But, you know, you could also have someone say I'm too cheap to have somebody change my own oil. So they change so their own oil. Too. So they so they change their own. oil. Not everyone's Samuel G. Brooks. <laughs> You know, someone says, well, I'm not going to sh- shell out to get my oil changed. They change their own oil. They forget to put it in the right way. And then they blow a $6,000 motor. Like, you know, what can you afford? What can you not afford? These these, I, these are my little life hacks, I think. I try to find the little life hacks. When I first got my janky old falling apart truck that sat on a farm for 10 years before I got it, I could not figure out for the life of me this oil leak. And I finally pulled the filter off and realized 
whoever had last changed the oil jammed the filter in without removing the seal from the previous filter. So there's an oil filter seal just like crooked in the middle of See, everything. See, there you go. The professionals would not make that mistake. Well, I got, that is I got, true. I got great <laughs> advice from a friend of mine named Marshall. We call him Marsh. And he said to me, when it, when it comes to having your own business or running your own business or building your own team, whatever in life, he says, you should only do what only you can do and delegate everything else. You should only do what only you can do and delegate everything else. And and I thought that that's strike. I mean, now he's, he's got a bit of a bigger team. His team's a little more impressive. He has like departments in his business. But, you know, I mean, I thought that was good advice. I I, I have, a you know, just on a, on a broader scale, I have a lot of admiration, admiration, blah, to, to people or to companies that are like that kind of ethos is do one thing really well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just like we, you know, when people have that level of specialty, you always, you always get great, great results out of that. In a way, this is kind of a subtle tee up for our first segment today. In a way, mm. uh, I, I guess what we're talking about is when you should attempt to do things yourself. And when you should leave it to the experts. Oh, my gosh. We couldn't have even planned this so beautifully. More than a half a million people, way more than a half a million people have watched a video from an Edmonton based. He calls himself a mental wealth coach, not mental health, mental wealth coach. And he would describe himself as a mental health advocate uh, earnestly. I don't know him personally. I did speak with him on the phone yesterday. Uh, a guy by the name of Kaylor Betts, and he's released a video on his Instagram. Last I saw, about 600,000 people have watched it. It's probably more now. His name is is exploding for a few different reasons. I mean, so much so that he released a subsequent video yesterday. He's talking about COVID-19, and he, and he starts by saying, basically, listen, you're used to me being positive and, you know, be, being chipper and happy. And, and this video is going to be a little bit different. And he gets into his assessment of how the pandemic has been mismanaged and some of the risks that people are running. And, and then he starts to drop some numbers and some data and some statistics. And let me just say the message has has been celebrated by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And it's being absolutely crushed and slammed and ripped by maybe just as many or maybe more, or maybe less, or I don't know. And that's not really the point. The point is that there are thousands of comments on the video. It's being shared all over the place. He's obviously gained a pretty significant following as of late. Some of his critics are saying, well, that's why he's doing this. Others are saying he cares about people. So like I said, I talked to him on the phone yesterday and we're talking about whether or not it's going to make sense to get him on the show and what the context would have to look like and what sort of a, a fact checking mechanism would be in place. Let me just say the conversation has been happening. And, and he knows that we're having this segment here today. I'm going to show you portions of the video and we're going to look to to Timothy Caulfield, professor at the University of Alberta and, and published author and Dr. Shazma Mathani as well, who's been a great friend of the show and an ER doctor, an ER physician out of the Royal Alexandra Hospital, which if you don't live in Edmonton, you're not from Alberta, the, the Royal Alex uh, or, or strangely so as some people, a lot of people call it the Royal Alec. That's one of the weird things about Edmonton. I, I know that a lot I, of longtime Edmontonians call the Royal Alexandra, the Royal Alec. And I've never wrapped my mind around it, but I don't want to get off onto a rabbit hole on this. It's just one of those things locally that it's never really made sense. But you didn't want to get off onto a rabbit hole. You know what I'm hole. saying? I'm, yeah, I'm wrapping it up with a bow. Okay. This is what I do. I wrap things up with a bow. I put them under the tree and I move on. Do- Dr. Fathani is going to join us to talk about 
kind of just the front line when somebody's admitted to the ER before they go into ICU, whatever the case is, she's seeing it. She's seeing it on the front line. She's been on the front line of the pandemic for a year. And uh, we're going to get into some of the assertions made in the video. I'm curious for your take. And then I want to broaden the conversation. We've, we've designed a show today that has lots of breathing room. Because a lot of times, you know, if you if you look back through our show's archives uh, via our YouTube channel or our podcast, you can subscribe to both of them. You see what I did there. You're going to see that sometimes we've got seven, eight, nine guests. I think our, our busiest show, we had nine guests over the course of the you know two hours or so. It, it doesn't leave any talk time. It doesn't leave time for us to dive into the live chat or to get to the, 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 the you know, I, we, I, I probably and again, we plant trees. Don't worry. We plant trees. But the dozens of emails we print off before every show, I've got, a, well, as a matter of fact, I've got eight of them shortlisted today, and I want to get to all of them. We don't leave ourselves time for that. And the whole point of this show is called Real Talk is have a conversation. We'll get into some of Kaylor Betts assertions around, you know, comorbidities and mental health and diet and exercise and, and cardiovascular capability and what can shield you or protect you from COVID-19 and what cannot. And what does the evidence say? And is his video really dangerous or is it in his words, his truth? Is everyone entitled to an opinion you're going to say, well, obviously, of course. So I want to talk about this because I've got letters from people that are saying, I assume, as a matter of fact, real talkers, can I say this? This past weekend, it was my birthday weekend, had a wonderful weekend. Family was amazing. Obviously, we're locked down our little unit. So we had a, a modest little uh, and wonderful and heart filling birthday weekend. But I was not all over the Internet. I was not on Instagram. I was not sort of checking in to see what everybody was in a flap about or what everybody was inspired by about. It just wasn't that kind of a weekend for me. So it was actually real talkers that put this Kaylor Betts video on my radar. Letters, like people emailing in to talk at RyanJesperson.com saying, I'm assuming you're going to talk about this. You know, number one, please get this guy on the show. Wow. Like he's saying what I've been wanting to say, or he like he's the one that finally has the stones to say this. And then a bunch of emails from people that are going, I assume that you're going to bring somebody on to rebut all of the inaccuracies and misinformation on this video. It's dangerous. You know, people write a couple people wrote in specifically to say, please don't have Kaylor Betts on the show. So I want to talk about that. I mean, this show before has has been in this muck and mire with critics right around platforming. I think of some of the guests that we've had on the show and people have criticized me and criticized the show saying you are platforming these people. You're platforming these dangerous points of view. And for me, I mean, someone with 15, you know, 15 years broadcast experience, 20 years experience in media, newspaper included, the idea of platforming. I mean, we used to refer to it in different ways. There were some obvious circumstances. Would, it, would a talk host have on the, you know, a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan to, to debate whether or not, you know, all ethnicities truly are equal? You know, oh, we're going to hear from one side. We're going to hear from the other. And, and we're going to put it to a vote. Check out our, you know, check out our Twitter poll. Like, obviously not. Obviously not. You know, did the Holocaust happen or is it a hoax? Uh, you know, we go to one expert who says it did and then the other who says it didn't. And they'll each get two minutes and then they'll each get and then you put them on equal path and people go, what the? No. But if somebody says. Instead of the Serb, the two thousand dollars a month, you know what I think that government should do is, you know, this or this or this an alternative perspective. 
or hydroxychloroquine. People started talking about that, right? And that, and that, that sort of ties itself as an issue to the people that talked about it. Danielle Smith, former talk radio host in, in our home province of Alberta. You know, when I had Danielle on the show here a while ago, one of our most listened to episodes, by the way, in the show's history, top five, um, people are saying you're platforming somebody that that promoted hydroxychloroquine. You're platforming her. And I'm sitting there going, uh, we had a, a really interesting and pretty candid conversation about a whole bunch of things. It's important to investigate assertions. It's important to fact check. It's important to provide rebuttal space when when someone has has put something out in you know out to public discourse that that can serve to be divisive or or even in some cases harmful. It's important to have these conversations. It's important for a show like this to have integrity. But do we simply suffocate or squeeze the oxygen out of these types of things and and pretend like they don't exist? Like, so I guarantee right now some people are going, the fact that Ryan's even saying this guy's name, Kaylor Betts, is drawing people to his Instagram, which means his video's going to get more views, which means Ryan's part of the problem. You see what I'm saying? So I want to have a conversation about that. We've got some great emails. I've got one here from Kim. Kim just sent this in like eight hours ago. Maybe this is keeping Kim up at night. She literally, the, the subject line, please help, what is the truth? And Kim writes in and says, Ryan, I don't know where to turn. I'm being inundated with information found in a video. Now, she's actually linking to another video that's just been released. Some Alberta physicians, some former physicians and surgeons, a couple of them. And Kim says, I'd, I'd be really curious to know what your collection of experts have to say about this latest video I've just been sent. I'm exhausted, says Kim, in trying to figure out the truth about COVID. Up to now, I've believed what our mainstream media and what local medical experts and what political leaders are telling us. I have no idea who these two doctors in this video are. And if all the medical facts they present are true, I really don't know what they're talking about, but it sure sounds legit, says Kim. Please have some experts watch this video to determine if it's accurate. Why is it so hard? Why are the voices that say COVID is a, is a hoax and lockdowns are unnecessary? Why are those voices getting louder and louder? And how can the average person hope to sort it out? That from Kim received to our inbox at 10.01 p.m. Mountain Time yesterday. This is putting a lot of people in a wind wobble. It's important, I think, to be talking about these. I think it's really important to give people the information that they need, the tools that they need to be able to. I mean, for starters, you talk right now about the idea of fake news and sources and, 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 and almost marginalized communities, people being pushed out. We talked about, uh, you know, Twitter deplatforming, Donald Trump's account being canceled. Some people celebrate it. Some people say it's 1984. Some people say that Jack Dorsey and Twitter have totally overstepped. Others have said Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg haven't done enough to combat this type of thing. What's I mean, if you talk to experts about this, one of the first things that every single one of them will say is that we need to teach people. And this starts probably, you know, at home with young kids and into elementary school. I mean, an intuitive modern curriculum would probably include angles on this in elementary, junior and senior high school. 
on how to determine the validity or how to determine the credibility of a source. And you you might sit there and say, well, well, that's pretty obvious. It's not obvious to everybody. It's not obvious to everybody that when you read, when somebody sends you a link and you click on it and you read it and it looks like a pretty reputable news site. I mean, it looks pretty good. The graphic design's pretty good. There's not a lot of spelling mistakes. You know, do you automatically check the URL, the web address? And if it says whatever it says, you know, globalmail.com, globalnews.ca, cbc.ca, whatever it says, okay, interesting. And then, okay, well, let's read on. If it says like, you know, Herbie6969.yz. Some like random web address. Is, should we maybe immediately see a red flag? I mean, that's like one example out of a million. Should we maybe see a red flag there? So I hope to have these conversations. Uh, I want to start them today, or let me say continue them today, because we have had them on the show before. I'm curious to know what our experts are going to say and what you have to say on our live chat as well. Plus, we'll be checking our inbox talk at ryanjesperson.com and, of course, our Twitter hashtag. Real Talk RJ, which is powered by Park Power. This show is proudly presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. And I want to let you know, coming up in about an hour and 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Bitcoin Well's founder and CEO, Adam O'Brien. You've probably seen Bitcoin right now at its highest value in history, and Bloomberg's up with a huge projection on it. At the same time, some people say you can stick a fork in it, and it's almost dead because China's introducing digital currency. And some people, some market experts, some some currency watchers say that China's digital currency could bury Bitcoin for good. I love it. We're going to try to sort it out. That's the whole point. It's going to be a great show. Adam O'Brien coming up. You can learn more about Bitcoin well under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, Timothy Caulfield, Dr. Shazma Mathani coming up in just a moment. Kaylor Betts is this uh, Edmonton-based mental wealth coach that's put out an Instagram video that's that's closing in on th- three quarters of a million views. We're going to show you a little bit of the video. We're going to bring in our experts and we're going to have a conversation about facts. And so, Sam, if you could, um, the video itself is about eight and a half, nine minutes long. We've, we've taken just a couple of clips from it. Um, why don't we roll on here to give people an idea of what we're talking about? All we can talk about is wear mask, wear more masks, like one mask, two masks, three, wear nine masks, and then let's throw them into the ocean, which is probably going to be a bigger problem than anything else. You know, and let's shut down our businesses. Let's ruin people's mental health and livelihood. Let's completely go into isolation. You know, we're not biologically made to isolate ourselves from social connection. It makes us sick, which leads me into my next issue that I want to talk about mental health. Talk to a psych doc or a nurse right now. They'll tell you that the healthcare systems are overwhelmed with mental health patients. You know, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not anti-mask. I'm not anti-isolation social distancing. Those things have their place. I'm anti-stupid. And the approach we're taking is stupid. And if you don't see that by now, keep digging. Timothy Caulfield uh, is the author of Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? He's the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy Research Director at the Health Law Institute, University of Alberta. Tim, it's great to have you on the show. We'll also welcome in Dr. Shazma Mathani, who's been a great friend of Real Talk uh, since inception. She's an ER doctor at Edmonton's Royal Alexandra Hospital. And uh, if I understand correctly, Doc, you're actually on night shift right now, too, which means you got up probably in the equivalent of the middle of the night to talk to our audience so let me begin by extending our most sincere gratitude thanks for being here to the both of you 
Thanks for having me on. Uh, Tim, why don't we start with you? Uh, Kaylor Betts, the video, we're going to get into some of the specifics and what he's talking about, but the general premise of it, I, I was telling our audience uh, when you were waiting in the bullpen there, I mean, we're getting emails from people saying, please have them on. We're getting emails from people saying, please don't have them on. Where do you land on discussions like these? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, uh, I, in general, I do not think we should we should have it, uh, these voices these voices out there because it does lead to something that's called false balance and there's really good evidence to back this up this is a you know his positions are, are fringe they're not supported by by evidence at all and if you give him a platform on the show like this uh it, it becomes one argument against another and you touched on it in in the introduction and we know there's good research to suggest that false balance can have a really bad impact on things like vaccination intention. They've actually done exact studies on that topic and have found that false balance reduces people's uh, intention to get to get vaccinated. So, you know, I think this can be really problematic. And a good example would be Jenny McCarthy on the Larry King show. You know, it was Jenny McCarthy telling her story about her child uh, getting autism from the vaccine, a complete myth. But what do we remember from that 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 show it's it's jenny mccarthy ryan that's what we remember she was sitting next to three experts from the cdc who probably spent their life you know studying studying vaccines and they're going no 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 this isn't true but we remember jenny mccarthy in part because she has this compelling story to tell and and, and in this video you see that also this this wellness coach um also has this story to tell now the other thing i think is really important to highlight here ryan is this is a rage video Right. That, that's what this is. He's not introducing any new topics. Um, this is stuff, you know, I follow the literature very, very closely. I follow the public discourse very, very closely. This is stuff that people have been talking about for a year. So there's no new topics here. Right. You know, this idea about mental health. Uh, this is about questioning uh, the public health measures. Right. And, and implicit in it is his suggestions, which is exercise in his metabolic health in nine days is a better solution than the solutions that have been advocated for by experts. Now, look, this is incredibly complicated. And I often, they often, it's often portrayed like the experts aren't, you know, the, I'm, I'm actually involved in a lot of national public health discussions on this as if they're unaware of this data. People are aware of this data, right? They're trying to make balance. Uh, they're trying to balance mental health, physical act, uh, um, activity, exercise, um, uh, the economy against the public health measures that are need to, needed to get us through this. It's not easy. People make mistakes, but people are trying to make this balance. What this video is about is rage. It's playing on people's fear. It's playing on people's frustration. And it is also about brand building. No doubt about it. Okay, so and and feel free to jump in, both of you. Like, I want this to be a candid conversation. Like, we were out for coffees, and so, and so you don't have to wait for me to ask you a question. And please feel free to disagree with me as well. And maybe a tiny little part of me is going to be devil's advocate here, but I want you to know I approach this sincerely. I'm not trying to push buttons and get ratings. I mean, it wouldn't hurt if 600,000 people watched this video. But 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 seriously, Tim, if you say what this is about is questioning public health measures, doctor, people will say, what's wrong with that? Like all of a sudden we're not allowed to question public health measures. That sounds a little Orwellian to me. Um, you know, I think it's, it's always appropriate to question things. The problem with this situation is the um, propagation of 
complete false facts, right? And so questioning is not the issue here. It's using his platform to um, continue to uh, propagate misinformation, to cherry pick facts, to take things out of context. You know, one of the examples that he used was this often misquoted CDC fact about 94% of COVID patients who died had other health conditions. I mean, he's talking about comorbidities and things like high blood pressure. I mean, we've talked about this before. Something like high blood pressure is not always in your control and should not be a death sentence from getting COVID. Uh, But then he refuses to look at things like other things that the CDC says, for example, like the efficacy of masking, of double masking, for example, um, of of the uh, appropriateness of Uh, public health measures in reducing the spread of COVID-19. And so, um, yes, I think it's reasonable to question, but you need to actually use the appropriate data to be well-informed and to not spread misinformation in situations like this. Okay, let's talk about, we do have that clip uh, pulled, Doctor, that you just mentioned. So to give our audience that that maybe hasn't seen this yet an idea of what we're talking about, and then Tim will throw it hot to you. Um, Here's another portion of that video from Kaylor Betts. 94% of the people that have died of COVID, just under four other health conditions and other causes of death. You know, the problem is, is we live in a system and this is not a conspiracy theory. It is so evident and right in front of our face. We live in a system that rewards and incentivizes when people stay sick. The governments get more power, the pharmaceutical companies make more money. We need to start living in a system that actually incentivizes and rewards when people get better. And we don't, and it's embarrassing. So we'll talk about the comorbidities. Uh, Dr. Mithani just just touched on it there, Tim, but people are going to say, well, all he's talking about is is promoting health, rewarding people for getting better as opposed to staying sick. What's wrong with that? That's not what he's saying. Uh, You know, it's interesting because, uh, of course, there's this false dichotomy that individuals like this, and he's not the only one. A lot of people do this. They create this false dichotomy that you are either within the medical establishment, like my friend Shazma, and she's like only about drugs and only about you know dealing with symptoms, or you're on the other side, which is about wellness and fitness. And that's just a false dichotomy. Every single expert I know, every single expert I know, every single, my wife's a family physician, they emphasize fitness and mental health and wellness, right? That, so that's uh, first this false dichotomy that he's trying to create. Uh, secondly, there's just the, the implication here, let's be really clear. The implication is that if you are not fit, right? And if you are not in he and in the video, he talks about the things you're supposed to do to be fit. It's kind of your fault that you got COVID, right? It's kind of your fault if you are a person with obesity, if you're a person with that has mobility issues uh, because you're not being fit and you're not doing the things that the kind of things that he does to be fit. Cause he talks about that. He goes out, he says, I'm this fit person. And you wonder why I'm so fit, why I'm so uh, obsessed with fitness while well, I'm staying out of the hospital. You know, it, it allows a hospital bed to be available for someone else. Think of what the implication is that it's your fault that you didn't do these things. Now look, something like obesity, incredibly complex uh, condition, right? It's a, incredibly, incredibly complex. It has to do with socioeconomics, it has to do with your food environment, it has to do with your genetics, it has to do with the microbiome. It has to go on and on and on. This is, and I, you know, this is a topic I've actually worked on and written about, uh, and he's sort of blaming them. Now, uh, I do we need to um, talk about exercise and lifestyle more? Absolutely, and, and Ryan, I've talked about it on your show. This is something I've advocated for for decades, right? Uh, but. Th- being fit is in is not going to boost magically boost your immune system. It's not going to keep you from getting COVID and keep 
that is the clear message in his video, right? That's the clear message uh, that we should be focusing on this. And if we did what he wanted, this nine days of metabolic health, you're not going to need the lockdown. That's that's the message, right? And that plays to the rage that is out there and the people that are frustrated with the lockdown. Zero, zero evidence to support that message. Doctor, you know, one of the assertions that he makes in the video, again, might be something where someone would say, well, it's it's kind of hard to disagree with that. He says, you know, one of the things the federal government, he says, instead of plugging so much money into so many things, the federal government should have made healthier, nutritious food available for more people, especially lower income people that can't afford the healthier food that maybe get steered more toward the fast food or or maybe not eating at all, what have you. Uh, but there's also the bigger picture there, which is implying or suggesting that a more nutritious diet or a healthier diet could protect you from COVID-19, right? And that's something that I think that's important that we talk about. You're seeing people in the ER. You're seeing the triage. You're seeing what is landing people in some pretty scary circumstances. Uh, are some of these people healthy eaters? Can you take us into what COVID means, what the implications are and how it affects people? Sure. And just to kind of play off what Tim was saying, saying there as well. I mean, uh, of course, a healthy lifestyle and healthy eating and diet and exercise, those are all important things. That is not going to be what solves this pandemic. And that is not going to be what protects you from getting COVID-19. All of the measures that are put in place, the non-pharmaceutical interventions like distancing, masking, hand-washing, that is what is going to protect us from getting COVID-19 and spreading it. Um, in terms of the assertion of uh, being healthy and being fit, uh, preventing you from landing in hospital and preventing you from getting COVID-19. Unfortunately, as much as I would like that, like for that to be true, it's simply not, especially with the variants of concern becoming the more predominant strain now and, and being the dominant strain. We in the emergency department are seeing much younger and healthy people without any comorbidities having to come into hospital, having to come into the intensive care unit. Um, this third wave is a complete, completely different beast and we're seeing young, healthy people who are coming into hospital needing our help. And so, um, unfortunately, it's not just a matter of lifestyle changes here. This is something um, where where the evidence does not does not show that, and the evidence does show what it does take to, to prevent COVID-19 infection. Ryan, if I could jump in. Yeah. Um, if being fit, if being fit kept you from getting COVID, um, the NFL, the NHL, uh, Lewis Hamilton, who I love, I'm a big F1 fan, boy, they they, I guess they were just unlucky. Right. That they all that people, these all these really fit people who are Lewis Hamilton is obsessed with his health. He's absolutely obsessed with his health. He got covid. Uh, and of course, we're not just talking about, well, the answer will be, well, they 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 got covid, but they didn't get sick. Yeah, but they still got covid. They became part of the, the problem of spreading it. Um, and, and that message is problematic on so many levels. It's shaming. Uh, it's misinformation. And of course, you know, this nine days to metabolic health, I have no idea what he's talking about there. It sounds like it's a brand that he's 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 pushing. I, I don't know, though. I want to be careful. There. Uh, I read, just, yeah, yeah just to, sorry, Ryan, just to jump in there as well, as Kim was saying, I mean, these are healthy, fit people that got COVID, even though they're healthy. But then the other thing that we aren't talking about enough is what the consequences of getting COVID are for these people afterwards, right? And so even the young Fit, healthy people, even children who are uh, minimally symptomatic with COVID have long-term effects for weeks and months after they've recovered from their active infection. And so it's not just as simple as whether you get COVID or not. There are lots of long-term effects like chronic fatigue, ongoing shortness of breath, headaches, things that can be debilitating to your function. 
um, where the evidence is showing that this is lasting for up to months after the acute illness has resolved. And so that's another thing that needs to come into the conversation as well. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody, everybody's got their own anecdotal evidence as well. Uh, sometimes that's productive to a conversation. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but, but I've had my friend Jacqueline Robinson's been on the show before. As a matter of fact, the first month we were we were up at RyanJesperson.com. You can find the interview. She's a public health nurse in Vancouver, one of the most fit people I know, uh, you know, dancer, yogi, runner. Um, she, she was intubated. She was in a coma for 10 days. Like we just about lost her. And uh, she's I mean, she's one of these people that like you know i i have never really been able to understand these people that would like they, they have some free time on their hands so they go run 20k i don't quite understand that mindset <laughs> um but but jackie right now is telling us that a big win for her was when she could walk to the end of the block um and she was pretty proud of herself when she could get to the top of the stairs without stopping so so i you don't have to tell me uh or you don't have to convince me about some of the concerns residual impacts on how young people are fit people or healthy people so to speak i know it's a subjective phrase tim uh can be impacted here and about long covid we don't know that much about long covid yet because we're not that far down the line but i've heard enough medical professionals telling us it's a problem here you heard the email from kim that we received she's please help what is the truth she's she's asking for help um and i talked about this other video that that people have been have been sharing with me and saying, what do you think about this? Craig wrote in to say, is that the video where the two guys do the press conference from somebody's spare bedroom with a black curtain thrown up? It, it looks like a junior high video project. Sam, if you take my screen, this is it. I mean, when it when it comes to recognizing credible sources, th this is kind of what I'm talking about. However, at the same time, like these dudes are sharing their CVs. And one guy's been a certified transplant surgeon, like not an idiot. You know what I mean? We talked to uh, former Lieutenant Colonel David Redman on the show. He's Alberta's for, former chief of emergency management, Alberta emergency management back in the day. Some people were outraged that I had him on the show. This is the guy that steered the ship for Alberta emergency management 10, 15 years ago. Like it's a voice that's that that should be stifled or not heard. Tim, you can tell I wrestle with this. Right. And, and, and I'm curious for, for your take, too, on when a cardiovascular surgeon or when a former head of emergency management comes out and says these public health guidelines are basically bullshit, uh, it throws a lot of people into a position where they don't know how to figure it out. It, it is really tough. And, and a broader example of that, Ryan, is is the debate that circulated around the, the Great Barrington Declaration. Do you remember that? Um, and, and this was that idea that that uh, we should embrace natural herd immunity and protect only the, the very vulnerable. Right. Uh, and in fact, we're doing a study of this right now, uh, Ryan, with colleagues at Simon Fraser University, uh, where we're looking how that was portrayed in the popular in the popular press. And there really was a lot of false balance. What you want to do in those situations, Ryan, because there was an individual from uh, Cambridge, from Stanford and from Harvard, I think. Is that right, Shazam? I can't remember the, the three big names that were, were involved. Uh, the problem was it, it was portrayed so often as on one hand, we have this debate or, or this position. And on the other hand, we have, you know, this other position. And that, of course, isn't it at all. The Great Barrington a declaration was and remains a fringe perspective, right? It's a fringe perspective. And what you want to do is you want to adopt what's called a weight of evidence approach. So what is the weight of evidence on this topic? And you see that in the context of climate change and GMOs and, and vaccines, that's the more productive approach. So it's not that you can't have a conversation about, about these kinds of, you know, uh, very fringe perspectives it's how it's framed and how it's presented to uh to the public and ryan i'm not trying to suck up to you but you know you always do a great job i think you know you don't pull your punches and i think that that 
that is important, but we don't always see that. You know, the, our study hasn't been published yet. We're still going through the data, but but we certainly found that there was often often this false balance out there around these kinds of topics. And, you know, the problem with these, um, you know, fringe opinions, as Tim mentioned, is that they have this way to uh, evoke emotion in you, right? Similar to Mr. Betts's video, all of us are feeling this. We're a year into this pandemic where we do not want to have these restrictions anymore. I get that. I, I want to be able to live my life again. I'm sure the two of you do as well. And and these types of fringe uh, videos and these uh, misinformation uh, type situations are ones where they're evoking emotion in you. They're, they are speaking to exactly what you're feeling. And it's, I mean, you can't blame people for wanting to hear that and wanting to listen that listen to that, which is why it's so dangerous. Yeah, I, I totally agree with with uh, Shazma. And there's very interesting research to suggest exactly what, what she just said. Uh, it, it, a, a, co- a compelling narrative, right? A, co- a compelling anecdote uh, will overwhelm uh, all the data points. And there's actually research that, that tells us that this is how, how it often plays out. And, and that's exactly what this video does. And all these rage videos, that's what they all do, right? They present a story that you want to hear that plays to your preconceived notions, to your emotion. And I totally agree with Shazna. I get it. You know, I actually think that what we should take away from the popularity of this video, and again, it's not introducing anything that we haven't heard before. It's not trying to start a conversation. Uh, it's really just pushing misinformation and, and generating rage. But what I think we should take away from a, uh, from it is a lesson about the 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 temperature right now outside in the public. People are getting frustrated, and I think that's why we're seeing you know the two angry doctors. We're seeing this video, and there's you know Ryan. I see them almost every day, right? I see them almost every day. Uh, I think that that's what we you know we need to take away from it. We need to listen. We need to engage the public. The other thing I think is really important, Ryan. Here is is we shouldn't forget. Most Canadians have been awesome. <laughs> They've been awesome. They, you know, this is still a relatively small group of Canadians that feel this strongly. Most Canadians have really done what what it's, it takes to to battle this, and we, I think we need to celebrate that too. Uh, Dr. Mathani, there was there was a, a follow up video posted uh, yesterday. Killer Bats posted a follow up video, and I was curious to see what he was going to say. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to be like, "Whoa, everybody!" Uh, you know, my, uh, he kind of doubled down. He, he did say there were some he said there were some discrepancies in the facts I shared. They weren't as current as I would have liked. I'll do better on that next time. But then he hit head on uh, some of his critics calling him too privileged to comment on mental health. And he also said that he has received an overwhelming number of messages from medical professionals thanking him for his video, saying they're too afraid to speak out themselves. It's a hell of a thing to assert. Uh, and if it's true, it's troubling. I can tell by your facial expression that you're probably going to want to respond to this directly. Where do you think your profession's at on this? Um, you know, Ryan, I know I know thousands of healthcare professionals, nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists who have been on the front lines of this pandemic. And I can tell you with certainty that a massive majority of them are in the same camp as I am in in trying to raise the alarm bell about how serious this pandemic is. Um, in any situation, you're always going to get outliers, right? Where where there are people um, who are not going to follow the evidence, who are um, going to uh, subscribe to um, misinformation and fringe views. But I can tell you um, what I can see in my emergency department and, and among my colleagues there and across the country. Uh, this is not a popular opinion. In fact, it's it's um. 
you know, a tiny minority. Uh, and it's, it's really just not accurate. Um, Robert says, uh, yeah, he says, great point, Tim, that the Vancouver Canucks are proof that health, lifestyle, diet and exercise alone will not protect you uh, from COVID-19. Uh, or it says, you know, 25 or more positive COVID tests as of April 8th. I, I, I think that's a great point. Um, Les has an interesting point here as well. Uh, it got buried in the chat, but I'll paraphrase. He basically said, the, you know, the, the biggest difference probably between the times around polio and the time of this pandemic might be social media. Tim, would you agree? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, the spread of misinformation, and again, a lot of interesting research over the past year uh, on this on ex- this exact topic. Uh, this the spread of misinformation, the spread of this kind of rage, is almost entirely not not completely. You know, we're we're hearing from other sources, but this is a social media phenomenon, right? And and it really is. You know, the other interesting thing here is. People are turning to social media because they want to have their views, uh, you know, this, the echo chamber phenomenon, and that's happening for sure. And, and just to give you a sense, Ryan, of the degree to which what's being presented in this video is not new. So he's talking about mental health and physical exercise. Those are the big themes, right? Um, I did a search uh, on Google before this interview, and I, I searched COVID mental health, and I got 1.8 billion hits. Okay, 1.8 billion hits. And I actually had to read it carefully. Is that actually how many hits I got? 1.8 billion. Uh, I'm on the Royal Society for uh, of Canada's uh, COVID task force. We have, you know, we issued a, a paper on mental health issues. This is not, these aren't new topics. So when mental health experts are saying, uh, or sorry, when he's saying that that uh, uh, health, health colleagues are supporting him or health professionals are supporting him, what are they supporting him on? It's, this is really rage, right? It's just they're supporting him in the sense that they, they are frustrated. And uh, that I get, that I get. But it doesn't justify the spreading of misinformation that can do real harm. And Ryan, I think it's really important to highlight this. The, and we haven't talked about this. We know also from research that videos like this and the spread of misinformation does real harm. It does real harm. And there's lots of studies to back that up. Shazma, can we can we talk about the mental health angle? There's no doubt. I mean, we, we had our, our real talk. Uh, we call it our get get real question of the week presented by Y Station several weeks ago. And people talked about how the pandemic has been impacting them. And there is no doubt uh, people overwhelmingly resoundingly told us that their mental health has has paid a price, that it's taken a toll. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think anybody would question that. So. Let's from you, a trusted medical professional. What's your angle on that? Like, there, there's no doubt that lockdown and keeping kids away from one another uh, to a certain degree. I mean, you know, we talk about lockdown in Alberta. There's, it's not even close to a lockdown in Alberta. Let's be honest about that. But but we do know that there are some implications. Um, people that are typically used to socializing are not getting it. People are feeling a lack of connection uh, in, in serious circumstances. Uh, you know, people haven't been able to say goodbye. They're, they're mourning the loss of loved ones. They had to see it through a pane of glass or they watched their loved one on, on, a, on a ventilator, you know, via FaceTime. There's no doubt about that. But I think we can all agree that the solution to that is not just getting rid of public health measures, right? So how do we address mental health in meaningful fashion? You know, that's a great question, Ryan. And I would say, um, yes, 100% mental health has been impacted 
by this pandemic, any pandemic is going to affect mental health, of course, right? Um, I think what's more harmful to mental health is a few things. One, this constant yo-yoing of restrictions back and forth. We're open, we're closed, we're open, we're closed. I think what really needs to happen is strong measures that will stifle this once and for all. The problem with having um, restrictions that are not strong enough is that this continues at a smolder and this mental health uh, concern, as well as all the other concerns that are brought up during this pandemic, continue to go on for much longer than they have to. Um, you know, people are are also uh, going to have their mental health affected by their family members dying, right? And so the longer this pandemic goes on, the more people to get sick and die. That's also going to have a drastic impact on people's mental health. And so, um, yes, again, we all want this to be over. This has been a long and uh, grueling year. Uh, we're so close, though, and I think that the the best path forward is just to to nip this in the bud and be done with this rather than yo-yoing back and forth and prolonging the suffering longer than we have to. Uh, All right, if I could comment on the, on the mental health thing too, you know, I, I, I think there's a great irony with these kinds of videos because I don't want to just you know, point to one of them because you know what else is bad for your mental health? These kind of videos, <laughs> you know, they, uh, there's actually really interesting research that talks about how raging and ranting uh, doesn't work. You know, we have this intuitive idea that if, you know, if I let it all out, right, if I speak my truth, I, I'm going to feel better and the world's going to feel better. On the contrary, that, you know, this is this catharsis idea that really it has been around for a long time and it sort of took flight with Freud and it's been with us ever since, you know, John Lennon was really into raging and ranting and, uh, but there's no evidence to support it and there never has been. So this kind of raging actually makes the situation worse not better. It throws gasoline on the fire. Uh, and the other interesting thing is the, one of the other mental health things that you want to do is you want to step away from the noise, right? You want to step away from the noise and sort of take this, this, this break from the chaotic information environment that is out there. And, and these kind of videos also don't really invite you to do that. On the contrary, they just add to the chaotic information environment. And again, we've got real evidence to suggest that that, that chaotic information environment adds to stress and Ryan, interestingly, it also adds to the tendency for people to misinterpret the content they're seeing online and makes it more likely they're going to share misinformation online. So in other words, this is a worst case scenario. This is exactly what we don't need. You know, we need calm, deliberate, credible information that's going to really inform the public. Um, I, I want to note that uh, as, we're, as we're doing this show live, um, we're, we're way over the time that I've asked both of you to stay. And we do have a few questions, but I, 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 I want to be respectful of your schedules. Do either of you have to bolt? It's totally fine if you got to go. We're keeping you way over time. Tim, I can tell you have to go. You have something. I can tell. I can <laughs> I've tell. Got, I've got a bit more time. No, I can tell. <laughs> okay, time. well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll wrap it up because that's so unfair to you. To, we you asked, saw me looking at my clock. I did. See, I did. And I can see you looking <laughs> off camera. You're looking at a clock and I'm going, I think he's got to go. I better ask uh, i've got 10 minutes so uh, oh you got t can i keep you both for 10 minutes that would be amazing okay we'll keep you for 10 minutes um a, a friend of mine uh by the name of jenny she's watching and uh, she she took a class we're, we're going to grind her gears on this for years and years because she, she just took a class at at harvard she's kind of a big deal uh, and she says when i took my class at harvard we talked about fake news uh and how it impacts everything but especially a crisis uh, she's a, a crisis communicator that's her profession she says it's interesting to note that not even Harvard has figured out what to do with fake news and how to determine validity for everybody. She says, I was really, to be honest, hoping that they would have had an answer for me there. And I opened today talking about giving people the tools to be able to identify misinformation and those types of things. I want to ask both of you, 
Uh, but what you would recommend for people that are trying to sift through, I mean, I've got, for example, April here uh, and Dr. Mathani, I don't want to I don't want to put you on the spot here. I don't know if you're that familiar with the assertion. April says, I would love to hear you ask her about the whole vitamin D thing. You know, some people are treating it like a magic pill to prevent covid. I mean, that's kind of one specific example. But but to both of you, Shazma, you first uh, giving people the tools to recognize what's valid, credible information and maybe what's not. So I'll start with April, uh, just to, to get that out of the way. So uh, there is no evidence. There's actually been a randomized control trial looking at vitamin D and, the, and how effective it is at preventing COVID-19. There's no evidence there. Things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, those are not um, drugs where the clinical evidence shows that they're going to help with preventing catching COVID-19 or preventing with the illness once you do contract it. And so I just want to put that one to rest right away. Um, in terms of um, combating all of the information that's out there, I think it's really important to uh, consume as much as you can and try to look at things from different sides, right? Like if you see something that um, evokes an emotion in you, something that uh, you feel like you can identify with, it's equally important to try to find information that looks at the other side as well. Because there's, you know, like we've been talking about today, there are, you know, there's platforms for multiple people who are able to get their message out there. Um, when people talk about things and sound like they're smart, sound like they know what they're talking about. And I think we might have uh, at least she froze on a decent face, on a decent look. Tim, why don't we get you to take over? We'll get Dr. Mathani back in a minute. Um, I, I agree with what, what she was saying. You know, I think I think the really important thing is always ask yourself what kind of evidence is being used to support this. Is it just an anecdote? Is it just a testimonial? Um, what kind of expertise does this does this individual has have? And, and one of the most important things is to ask: What's the body of evidence on on a topic? Really, really important. You know, what is what is the scientific consensus? And and this one's obvious, but I, I think it's really important to always go to those trusted voices that are aggregating the science in a responsible manner, right? And so, yes, it is the Public Health Agency of Canada. Yes, it is uh, entities like. Um, so the CDC and the World Health Organization. Uh, that's what we need to do. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, as I said, you have the, we have this incredibly chaotic information environment. It's becoming more difficult to do that. I'm part of an initiative called uh, Science Up First. I don't know, if, is my, uh, my video still working? No, yeah, Sam's just troubleshooting behind the scenes, but we can hear you yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a, of a group called Science Up First. It is a a group, you know, includes thousands of volunteers from across uh, across uh, um, Canada, and, and it really the goal is to provide credible, trustworthy um, data uh, on on these topics. So, any any if you have any question, I ho I'm hopeful that you can find it on Science Up First. So, go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're going to be on on TikTok, Science Up First, and it, it is credible information on social media. We hope everyone becomes part of it. And you know, all you need to do, Ryan, is is share that credible information. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we can flood social media with the good stuff. I One of the things I love about having you on the show is you do your own fonts. Uh, like we like we in, in TV, it, it's a lot of work to type out the fonts. You got to get the graphics team to put them all together. You just get a Sharpie and a ripped off piece of paper and it works great. 
Yeah, that's all you need, right? Yeah, <laughs> although although we did have one, I I don't want to. We did have one fact check on you, uh, Tim, and I, and I and usually you're the one here doing the fact checking. Um, but Shane is watching. He said that's actually Sir Lewis Hamilton, Tim. It's Sir oh. Lewis, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Um, I, it I, is I, Sir Lewis, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, I should have asked you. Actually, I, I said that I would, and then I it completely slipped my mind. Do, do, how do you feel about being introduced? Or do you care? Do you, you consider yourself to be a myth buster? Uh, I, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind. People often call me a debunker. Uh, you know, I, I am a science policy person now. I don't, I, I, I guess I don't mind it. You know, I'm trying to own that phrase debunking. Some people don't like it because it sounds combative and unilateral. And I get that, you know, I think it's about conversations, which is what you do. It's about engagement. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get called MythBuster, debunker. And you know what? That's fine. Hey, uh, Tim, you stayed way into overtime. We totally appreciate uh, your perspective. Um, and I love this, too. Uh, Sam and I were chuckling ahead of time about how your CV makes us feel inadequate and underaccomplished. And I didn't even mention the fact that you're on the Royal Society of Canada's COVID task force. I mean, I hadn't even put that out there. And plus, your new book, Relax, Damn It. And if people want, if they haven't seen your Netflix series, uh, User's Guide to Cheating Death, I highly recommend it. Very well done. It's always great to see you. Thanks for doing the show today. Thanks for everything, Ryan. Really appreciate this conversation. You got it. That's Professor Timothy Caulfield. And our thanks sincerely to Dr. Shazma Mathani. We just just had a a bit of a technical interruption at the end, but we're so great. Or maybe she just, Sam, come off night shifts in the er at uh the metro edmonton regions she probably just fell asleep busiest hospital well i think she was i think she just sort of had enough she's probably yeah. like chesperson i've said what i had to say i'm out of here and uh you know she, she's got a personal life to get back to including recharging her batteries so she can be back on the front lines of COVID again in just a little minute uh, uh in just a few hours i should say i love that aaron elizabeth ross is watching the show live today you remember aaron ross the edmonton artist that was on the show what was it? Maybe six weeks ago. Uh, if you want to look back in our archive, you can find that interview. She was into one as well. She had COVID uh, and she was very sick. Um, she was a little bit emotional when she was on the show. She said, she said, I think I'd consider myself very healthy and very fit. And by the way, young, too. And I got sick as hell. She says, as you know, I guess I'm unlucky, too. Uh, Stephen and others of you have pointed out uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson got COVID. Um, so if fitness is... Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is just like on another level. And I'm not just talking about physique. I'm talking about everything. Do you, Sam, do you follow him on Instagram? I don't. He 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 drifts into my psyche every once in a he while. Is, and you're right. He's 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 one of those people I think I just like I don't want to say written off before, but I was just kind of like, yeah, he's not really legit. But me actor too. And that kind of stuff. Me and, too. And and he just keeps coming back with greater and greater stuff. He is. I am so impressed by him. Like he, you know, it was like, it's kind of funny if you describe him as like the former Calgary Stampeder, you know, former CFL, uh, you know, sort of a bit player kind of like did, you know, whatever. And then obviously world wrestling, WWE superstar, like one of the all time greats. And then he's gone on to become one of the highest earning actors in the history of Hollywood. And his entrepreneurial side's amazing. His philanthropic side is unbelievable. The videos he posts making little kids days, kids in hospitals and things like that. I've I have become uh, like an enormous fan of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He put out a thing the other day. You have to follow him on Instagram. I will check it out. Touching sure. on touching on the fact that that he says a lot of it's just a little test balloon, a little trial balloon that he floated. He says a lot of people are asking him about running for president of the United States, and he did not write it off. I should find it. I should read it here live. Kind of right sounds now. like we have another uh, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger situation on our hands here. You know, another person that I think a lot of people kind of wrote off is I don't want to call a fringe candidate, but, you know, he, he was actually an incredibly effective governor of California yeah, and continues to be this amazing outspoken voice on climate change issues all the time. So it's it's interesting when people kind of come out of the woodwork like that. Do you think if Arnie could have run for president that he would have won? Possibly. You know, it's it's hard to say because, I mean, at the very least, like he, he he's an outsider, but he actually has a very positive government track record. And, you know, he's a Republican that led the state of California. With he's a like very a moderate Republican. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, in a weird way, I feel like he's actually the kind of leader that they probably needed right about now. Plus, but, everybody yeah. would be like he would he would wipe the floor with Vladimir Putin yes. if need be like he would wipe the floor with him. Although that's not really what it's about, right? I mean, well, we don't you don't, you don't have to be able to you don't have man. to you don't have to be able to bench press four hundred pounds yeah. to send drones into villages and kill a bunch of civilians. Uh, American presidents have been able to do that, uh, regardless of whether or not they've been able to bench a car. Uh, but yeah, that that would be interesting to know. I don't know. So so maybe a political, you know, on the Democratic side, and I don't even know what the Rock's politics are. I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't yeah. assume he's a Democrat. I don't know. But I, it could get a little crowded if Oprah Winfrey's serious about it. And, and if I mean, we're just going to all celebrities now. Uh, we're going to get to your comments on what you just heard here. Plus, I promised I want to get to some of your emails. Um, we've got a whole bunch of really good ones, including uh, one from Sonia, who wrote in about a statement that she says most people don't realize it's actually quite offensive to a certain group of people. She said, but I've heard it on Real Talk a couple of times, Ryan. I was hoping you could put it out there. We're going to get into that one. It was actually, I did a little bit of learning. Uh, I hope that this happens every day for every single one of you. I did a little bit of learning. I read Sonia's email. I went, really? I looked it up and I went, huh, appreciate it. These conversations are made possible because teams like St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge support this show. And they've joined us on our journey to make sure that we continue to grow. I'm so excited to tell you. That the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge right now has those 2021 Jeep Cherokee Sports at like six grand knocked right off. $34,990 right now. These are the ones with the, the heated leather seats and the touchscreen Bluetooth dash and all of the luxury elements that you might expect you might find in the higher ups like the Grand Cherokee or, or that, that Grand Wagoneer that's coming back. The Cherokee 4x4 Sport, one of the most popular Jeeps in the brand's history, and you won't find a better selection than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Also wanted to remind you that the team at Clean Air Club wants you to breathe easy and save money. Yesterday, we showed you a couple of photos from Real Talkers. They post them to the hashtag RealTalkRJ showing us their new furnace filters wrapped up and personalized, delivered to their front door. Plus, they're paying less than they would in the store. There you have it. This one from Angela. Look at that. It even says Angela on the sticker. I'm impressed by the little things. Cleanairclub.ca is where you can sign up for that. Also wanted to remind you that Friesen Brothers' new location, it's 15th in Alberta, is worth the trip. We get messages from Real Talkers. One of you drove 90 minutes the other day to go check out their new Edmonton location just off Rabbit Hill Road, and you went, whoa! I went, well, yeah! I spent this weekend crushing three, Sam, count them, three of their Alberta sourdough cinnamon buns. They come with my personal recommendation and pair very nicely with some freshly squeezed orange juice. You'll find that at Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Are you a cinnamon bun guy? I, I am like not only a cinnamon bun guy, but like for several 
gifts that I've been given in the last little while. People have given me really nice coffee. So Ooh. I I want a pack of those cinnamon buns to go with my, my tastement array of some nice coffees. Yeah, yeah. I, I there, There's nothing quite like a great coffee and a cinnamon bun. Warmed, you got to find the, the, it's a very fine line when, when warming a cinnamon bun because you want the bun to be warmed, not just on the outside either, all the way through. You want it to be equitably warmed, but you don't want the icing to melt on top. And, and, and if you can master that balance, uh, then you truly deserve recognition. You can send in your perfectly heated cinnamon bun photos from Friesen Brothers to Real Talk RJ, and I guarantee that we'll feature them here on the show. I got this email from Corbin a while ago, and, and, this, and this factors in. I mean, this is a perfect example of the types of conversations we're having today. When is the perspective worth talking about? When should an argument have the oxygen squeezed out of it? When should something be amplified? Who deserves a platform? These are the types of questions we're looking to you to answer in our live chat right now on our hashtag RealTalkRJ and, of course, to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Corbin says, a uh, big fan of the show. He says, I tune in daily. Corbin, you beauty. He says, I tune in daily to get a good dose of both sides of stories and issues of the day. He said, Ryan, you often do this in a way that I believe can be uncomfortable to some but respectable at the same time. In recent episodes, you've really taken issue with the recent draft curriculum. And all of your guests to date seem to be speaking in opposition to the curriculum. I would be super curious to know what the other side says about the curriculum, assuming there's another side. He says, please and thanks. I'm a parent of two kids that would both be affected and affected. He does it with an A and an E. He says grade one and grade three currently. I have no firm position on the curriculum, and I believe I should know what the other side has to say so I can truly form a position. That from Corbin. Now, let me say big picture, Sam. What I love about Corbin's message is that he acknowledges that there's more than one side to the story. He wants to hear various perspectives. That's why he tunes into Real Talk. This is a guy that wants to educate himself from different perspectives so he can make an informed decision. I think that's so important. Now, I think you have to find the balance, right? You have to find the balance of what perspectives should be written off completely, what's absolutely preposterous and ridiculous. Who has a point, a valid point worth considering? And let's question everything. I mean, I think that question everything is, is a mantra that works for a lot of people. We should not just lap up information and accept it. But when trusted professionals, credentialed people, when experts have data-based, evidence-based positions, I think that's what needs to trump, you know, some of the other opinions allowed sort of like rage fuel that we see out there. I mean, that's where we need to find the line. Yeah, I think... One of the things that I, I've been sort of wrestling with a little bit here is the idea that it's like anybody can have an opinion and we do sort of live in a world right now where opinions can be elevated. And, and, and I also think that some of these opinions, I, I know this email was about curriculum, but it's just about debunking misinformation in general. Um, some people bring out opinions that that. I think are, are designed to give you the answers you want. That's a lot of what came out in these videos that we've been seeing is that there's there's some real frustration. And, and you know, if we ask experts like Dr. Methani and Dr. Caulfield that we just had on, um, they will show us where all the holes in those arguments are and they will show us, uh, you know, they'll give us like an expert sort of citation. But 
they're also not giving you the answers that you want to hear. It's very, very, very attractive to hear from people that are giving you the answers that you want to hear because it feels like a change. It feels like something different. It feels like a different direction you could go in. Yeah. On the live chat, Donna says that email from Corbin. Uh, tell Corbin he needs to talk to teachers. That's who he should be talking to. Uh, Tracy puts something positive out there, says, I, I like the literacy in the new curriculum using the science of reading. I'm super happy with that. Uh, Alyssa's watching, says, I, I don't know if there is another side to the curriculum. I mean, maybe aside from the premiers, Alyssa, he says that they're getting a ton of positive feedback on it. You will have, I mean, people are saying, you know, I thought that the, the Dr. Jordan Peterson endorsement was a really weird one. I just I think he's a he's a you know, people are going to say one guy reached out to me and said, uh, why are you taking issue with a globally famous tenured professor supporting the curriculum? And I thought globally famous and tenured uh, has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not somebody's endorsement of K to six curriculum is appropriate. No. Like tenured. OK, so now all of a sudden is everybody that's tenured like the OK, well, I can find some profs that are tenured that are absolutely nuts. Well, and again, it's just like the assumption is by the time somebody reaches tenure, they've been vetted by the system. The system, the university academic system has internally decided by the time they get to that, that they're an expert. And sure. that's what people assume. But I can find somebody that's a tenured university professor that has no business endorsing K to six curriculum. Well, and like and what does Dr. Jordan Peterson know about K to six curriculum? Absolutely nothing. Dr. Jordan Peterson is a very, div I mean, this is the guy who's, there's no denying, there's no questioning. Um, and he, this is another classic example, by the way, people say, would you have Dr. Jordan Peterson on your show? Hell yeah. I would have Dr. Jordan Peterson on my show. Like would I would I open up and say, uh, doctor, uh, you know, here's the microphone for 45 minutes and and we'll eagerly uh, eagerly write down everything you have to say and burn it into our brains and, and just accept it as God speak. No, but I'd certainly have a conversation with him. The guy's got an enormous fan base. But what was the fan? What was his first 15 minutes? I mean, what put him on the map? It, it was it was refusing to recognize preferred pronouns of some of the students in his classes at the University of Toronto. That was that was like the starting point. I mean, people would say, well, he's from like Fairview, Alberta. And what are you telling you? He has a long history and a story. And that's not the starting point. You get what I'm saying. People learned his name. His name became part of public discourse because of that. And then he went on to write a bunch of books and do a bunch of lecture series. And, 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 and now he's got a podcast. So there's one example. Jordan Peterson endorsing the curriculum felt like a weird one. I saw that the United Conservative government saying, well, Sheldon Kennedy, you know, the sexual abuse survivor, NHL pro and, and an absolute beauty of a guy. I love Sheldon Kennedy. Well, he endorses the curriculum. And some people are saying, well, hang on a second. Like Sheldon Kennedy has spoken to the consent part of it or some of the specific angles of of what he thinks that like this one angle in this one class in this one grade, that's a good initiative. You know, but then the government will say, well, Sheldon Kennedy endorses the curriculum. And I find that some people are probably actually being put in pretty tough positions considering how divisive this has been. Michelle says, I have yet to hear a teacher speak in favor of this curriculum, and I am a teacher, so I'm in touch with a whole bunch of them. That from Michelle. Kim says, I'm not sure there is another side. I've, I've not seen a, a non-politician chime in on this. And that's the thing, too. <laughs> like, you've, you've got to look at where the support comes from. If the support's coming from caucus or from the party or from the press secretaries for the MLAs or the ministers, like, is that really resounding support or is or is that a team cheering itself on? You know, I think I think it's safe to say 
that across the board, it would, it would be like trying to find, and, and let me be careful what I say here because I don't want to write off any perspective automatically, but it would be like trying, you know, saying, for example, um, where's the other side? on coal mining on open pit coal mining in on in the eastern slopes in the rocky mountains ryan where's the other side now we have had robin campbell on the show president of the coal association of canada former environment minister for the province of alberta it was his statement on this show that selenium is just salt that really kind of kick-started about a week's worth of shows with a number of expert voices and and a really great discussion as far as i'm concerned here on real talk so I guess that is kind of the other side of the argument. And, and even just yesterday, talking to our coal roundtable, I said, I don't want to uh, ignore the fact that that jobs could be created here, that there could be some economic activity at a time where people are, are literally begging for it in many communities. But is there another side? You know, uh, well, you know, you talk about pollution or the, the you know, the, the permanent alteration to the landscape. Where's the other side? Like, why aren't you bringing voices that? think that maybe our mountains could be shaped like maybe we should have our own Mount Rushmore in the eastern slopes. We could do the Mount Rushmore of Alberta politicians. And then we could do a series of shows, Sam, on on which four former premiers should be on the Mount Rushmore. We'd have to come up with an Al- a made in Alberta name for it, for the Mount, what it would be, not Rushmore, but our equivalent. I mean, maybe that's a perspective. I mean, I'm being facetious and idiotic, but maybe we need to, you know, where's the other side of that story? The story with coal is that there really isn't another side. You've got people that voted NDP, Alberta Party, Alberta Liberals. You got people that voted United Conservatives that back in the day voted for the Wild Rose or a whole bunch of other angles and options on what characterizes people. People living in the city, people living in the suburbs, farmers, ranchers, other landowners. I mean, everybody, environmental interest groups, you know, people are chiming in across the board and saying this is totally unacceptable. Like how many emails have we read on this show from people saying I voted United Conservative because of the coal story? I will not be voting United Conservative again. That's the story. I mean, that's one significant angle on that story. Haas says most opinions are, are based in morality. If the, if the base morality is different, it'll be tough to see an opinion as valid. Erica says, I'll listen to anything and everything. I trust my BS detector and I trust my ability to filter out the nonsense. Shalane says self-serving opinions are abundantly available. I want expert opinions. Michelle says the UCP will be emboldened by any positive feedback. They'll try to slap some lipstick on that pig and march it back out. The entire curriculum needs to go. That from Michelle. Keep the comments coming. Let me remind you how grateful we are to be partnering with the team at Eden Landscaping. This is the time of year where they're ready to go. Shovels in the ground. They're building what they've been helping people design when it comes to transforming their outdoor space and it's not too late for you to make it happen this summer go check them out online at landscapeedmonton.ca i always talk about the swim spa that's where my mind is at i just think of if i if i really want to swim i really want to swim spa i really do but but the swim spas the ones that look like a lot of work with the big jets that blow at you and you swim against the current i'm talking more about the one you just like hang in the corner and let the jet just sort of like massage your back that's a hot tub yeah well no but like it's bigger than a hot tub You, you can stand in it right a swimming against a big blower jet sounds like a lot of work to me Whether it's a hot tub, a swim spa, a patio deck, maybe an extension to what you already have, a pergola, a gazebo, 
or anything else, the team at Eden Landscaping can design it for you like they've been doing for their satisfied customers for more than two decades. Again, landscapeedmonton.ca. Also wanted to remind you that we're very proud to be partnering with the team at Local Waste. They love to talk trash. That's why they sponsor Trash Talk right here on this show every single Friday. Send your rants, your gripes, your fueled rages to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And as we wrap up the broadcast week, every week on Friday, we go out with Trash Talk. Make sure you tune in live. You might hear yours. And of course, Sam does a great job pushing about a separate podcast and separate YouTube links so you can share those around as well. Local Waste for more than 25 years has been partnering with locally owned businesses and then some of the real big internationals as well. No job too big, no job too small. They're helping people find their waste management solutions, garbage and recycling, and they'd love to compete for your business. Check them out today at localwaste.ca. Do you remember Sonia's email? I'm not going to give you any hints. Do you remember? We got an email from Sonia and she, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. She wrote in the subject Just line. Just based on the name, probably not. Subject line, maybe. Pardon my French? Oh, with this email. Yeah. 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 Let yeah. me read it and then let's get into this. She says, I want, to, I want to thank you and Sam, the great conversations that you guys make happen on Real Talk. She says, this is not a big issue, says Sonia, but, but it is something that I've heard twice in the last two days and at other times in the past, uh, most especially, she says, since I moved to Alberta, Sonia says you, the, the other day in your, in your conversation about Yom HaShoah, uh, what a powerful roundtable that was on, on Holocaust Remembrance Day. She says you were quoting an anonymous doctor and you read the email. And at one point he invoked pardon my French. And then he followed this with profanity, with swearing in English. Uh, Sonia says, I'm a native French speaker, and I've always been bothered when I hear that phrase. I don't think people who use that expression realize that it, it can actually be quite offensive to French speakers. She says, I know it is to me. Why do some people who swear in their language pretend like they are using someone else's? It's condescending. I'm just hoping that when you feel it is appropriate and timely, you will point it out and help people think about what they say. Merci. That from Sonia. And so I went online, I did what I'm just doing right now, and I, and I typed, is pardon my French offensive? Because I went, really? But then I also kind of got this gut instinct when I read the email. I went, yeah, I guess I can kind of see why, because like, why do we even say it? And it's pretty interesting. And you can look it up, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of different interpretations on it. But basically, the idea being that, um, you know, it's used after cursing. I'm reading from Sporkle.com after as a feeble attempt to disguise it as being a French word. It's often used to excuse yourself when there's somebody who might visibly be offended by profanity. It can also be used right before you curse as a warning to those who are part of the conversation. That from Sonia. I thought that was interesting. It's just sometimes our emails are about like about politics or items in the news or or some of the issues that are really getting under people's skin. And other times it's just something to make us think. And I learned something from Sonia and I appreciate that. Yeah. Emails like this, uh, they stand out to me. They're not the they're not the usual let's talk more about curriculum or coal, which we love. We get tons of those emails and those are very, very important. But Little little tidbits on how we can improve our show. They, I always read those emails. They're yeah, great. No kidding. Um, do you mind teeing up that the the video from City News, the one that was shot outside Grace Life Church? You guys saw this obviously over the weekend. This was a story that I know many of you wanted to have a, a more you know extensive conversation about yesterday. We just had such um, a remarkable conversation with the White family yesterday. 
uh, with Roberta White, who under unimaginably tragic circumstances lost her husband, Rob, on April 6th when he tried when he did successfully, let's say when he did rescue a dog um that was at risk of drowning on on the the north saskatchewan river and rob unfortunately despite the best efforts of volunteers on scene civilians and and rescue crews with edmonton fire rescue the stars chopper was up in the air the edmonton police chopper was up in the air they were they were unable to save him and roberta her friends call her bobby uh and her son strider and alliance joined us yesterday along with chris barrett who's uh was rob's best friend i'm gonna say who is rob's best friend um they joined us and, and the conversation was just so i don't know what i expected from that conversation i was a little bit nervous to talk to them because sometimes when you say i don't have the words i didn't have the words who could who possibly could and they almost ended up i think even if you watched it yesterday you know and if you didn't watch or listen yesterday you have to they ended up i think encouraging us more than we encouraged them it was one of the most powerful conversations i've ever had with somebody and i can't even imagine where they're at right now I can't even wrap my mind around it. The point of all of this is to say is that it just felt right after that conversation yesterday to, to, to focus on the positives, to wrap the show and to text or call one or more people that we loved and tell them how we felt. And we made and we'll reserve the right to do that on this show. If the time feels right, it just I didn't want to slip back into talking politics and divisive covid stories and churches with fences around them. It felt like a time for a moment of reflection, and I am so grateful to the White family that joined us, especially Roberta Alliance and Strider. I can't even we, we can't even imagine your grief. And just a reminder, by the way, if you were moved by that conversation or by this story, there's a couple of things that you could do to offer your support, uh, including uh, supporting the GoFundMe account that's been established in Rob's honor to help his family navigate through this, this very difficult next number of months and, and, of course, years. And you can find that I linked to it on my Twitter at Ryan Jesperson. But we left some emails on the table, you know, and this is a pretty high profile story on Sunday when when, you know, they call themselves Patriots, capital P Patriots arrived by truck convoy and otherwise from from communities in and around Alberta and maybe further than that. I mean, Maxine Bernier's flying in the federal politician. Derek Sloan's flying in. Everybody's doing what they can to sort of get their piece of the pie here when it comes to the, the publicity and the fundraising opportunities. There's right wing media outlets that are out there making the most of it. I mean, this is what we're talking about. They're, they're there. I mean, under police supervision and, 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 and who knows what what the, the, the police. I mean, I'd be curious to hear from law enforcement officers here. In, in my opinion, they're probably doing everything they can uh, to stop this thing from escalating. But as you'll see in the video here, um, you know, they're trying to tear these fences down and ultimately they're succeeding. These are fences that were put up. Finally, you might say, by Alberta Health Services after uh, this professor, uh, this pastor, James Coates and his congregation continued to gather week after week at full capacity. Ultimately, the pastor is spending about a, a month in jail uh, because he, he told Alberta Health Services, he told RCMP that he, he was not going to adhere. He's not going to comply with the personal or the public health order. He was not going to limit his congregation to to 15 percent of fire code capacity. So they left them in prison. And, and, and I mean, he's the one with the last laugh at this point. Right. I mean, no meaningful charges laid. Charges were dropped. As a matter of fact, none of his congregants are facing charges. They're doing whatever the hell they want. They're gathering on mass. They're obviously seeing a ton of support right now. I can't even imagine how much money they're raising through all of this. I mean, he's got the last laugh. What was really interesting is that this group is now kind of spilling over, not just not just at the church west of Edmonton and not just onto Enoch 
land, uh, Indigenous Reserve, uh, Chief Billy Morin, r- r- reportedly, this per Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, had his own car vandalized, has said that, that members of his community, uh, of the community out there in, on the Enoch First Nation, have faced racist remarks from these people. The land uh, borders their land. So this is something that's very relevant to them. You, you got a whole bunch of other people that, by the way, aren't masked, and I'm pretty sure as hell aren't getting the vaccine that are also there right there on their knocking on their front doorstep. You can imagine how that would make them feel. And this video submitted by a real talker yesterday wanted to remain anonymous. She said, I don't really care about the video credit, but but shot this out of her office window yesterday in downtown Edmonton. And, and you can see the protests are continuing. This is really nothing new. Uh, we've seen these in, in Canadian cities uh, through this pandemic. And, and mostly, I, w- I would say, in over the past few months as this sort of COVID exhaustion has set in. But but another demonstration, this one in downtown Edmonton, uh, as you see, I don't know what that is, maybe maybe 150 people or something like that, 100 people um, marching through the streets with, with all kinds of signs. Uh, some of them, I can't even say what the signs say, even on Real Talk, Sam, which is saying, if I can't even say what the signs say on Real Talk, that's saying something. But they're calling for an end to the lockdown measures. And, and of course, the language is supercharged on this. The language absolutely supercharged, you know, churches, houses of worship with triple layer fencing around them, pastors locked up in jail. This is your Canada. This is your Alberta where we jail pastors and lock up houses of worship. Jonas has been watching our coverage and and wrote in. Uh, not my brother Jonas, by the way, but I appreciate this from Jonas, uh, who says, you know, Ryan and crew, uh, I just answered your question of the week, which I really appreciate. You can find that at ryanjesperson.com. We're asking you this week how you feel about this situation at Grace Life Church and what you make of recent developments and how you think it should have been or should be handled and what you think it says about the community. Jonas says, I, I felt surprisingly compelled. When you ask the question, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do about the Grace Life Church situation? Jonas said, I wanted to write in. I actually wanted to send you an email directly. He said, Jesus, as his life and teachings are portrayed in the gospel writings, is more concerned with human welfare than following rules. He was known for breaking rigid Sabbath observance laws in his time. Therefore, I do not think he would be concerned about whether, where, or how a church physically gathers. Jesus was also thought to have said, wherever two or more are gathered, I am present with them, Jonas says. And so I think physically distanced services are quite reasonable from that standpoint. Jesus was also known to have mocked people who made a show of their religious observance and counseled modesty when it comes to matters of faith. Jonah says, I grew up in a progressive church and I've completed um, uh, biblical and theological studies at Canadian Mennonite University. I've written extensively about politics and theology. My personal beliefs have shifted towards agnosticism, particularly because of the damage that churches like Grace Life, who insist on a rigid and distorted reading of biblical text, are doing in our society. Jonah says, I still recognize a kind of truth in Christianity. And I greatly appreciate how it has shaped me as a person, but I see truth in many other places and I see mistruths in Christian churches like Grace Life. The Christianity at that church and others has shockingly little to do with what I read to be the true message of Jesus in its historical and social context. Like you've said on your show before, if I had to apply a contemporary ideological label to Jesus's teachings, it would be socialism plain and simple 
Jonas says, I could go on longer, but I'll limit myself for your sake. Thanks for your good work starting real conversations. That from Jonas out of Southern Alberta. I really appreciate that. And I think it's an important comment to make. One of the things that I'd be concerned about if I was a congregant at Grace Life Church and I cared even even the tiniest bit about this would be uh, this is a loaded phrase I'm going to use, but I'll cut to the chase guilt by association. You look at a lot of the people and a lot of the groups that are showing up now to support this church. And I'm not sure. I mean, if the church cares, they may not care at all. They may love this. As a matter of fact, they may welcome it. They may embrace it. But a lot of the people and a lot of the groups that are showing up to support this church come with a lot of baggage and huge public perception issues. And in some cases, uh, you know, people that have that have that have been found in the Canadian courts to have violated libel and slander laws, people whose public commentary has been very problematic, has been Islamophobic, has been homophobic. Uh, and and uh, in my opinion, the Grace Life Church congregation is finding themselves in a really tough position, Sam, by by accepting essentially the endorsement and the support of some of these types of groups. Yeah, Um Oh man, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the rally at the legislature yesterday because for me, it was a. It, I'm going to bring this back to Grace Life. I promise. Um, it was a bit of an insight into into in their world a little bit. So, um, scrolling through Twitter yesterday, I saw some people mentioning the rally, and then somebody posted a link to a live stream, and the live stream was a guy who is. Uh, he he took pains to say he doesn't represent Grace Life Church, but he clearly is more than just a congregant. And he talks about how he's from Grace Life when he interviews everybody, including Maxime Bernier. Went up to Maxime Bernier afterwards, uh, you know, gave him a pat on the back and almost like a hug. And, and, and Bernier apologized. He couldn't be at church last weekend with them. And the guy said, well, that's okay. We held it underground. Don't worry. We're meeting at a secret location. Thank you to everyone that's been distracting them and keeping them away from us. And and I found this whole interview fascinating and or this whole guy running around the legislature fascinating because over and over and over again he would go up to other people and and he made a lot of point to say he's from grace life church and people would always laugh it off and like oh yeah it's the church in the cage or this is the church in jail and they just keep laughing about it and then he met one guy on the interview who actually tore down the fence and started chatting with the guy and the guy's just like yeah i'm just a supporter of the church and and you know i came in from nowhere because this guy connected the interview keep going on and on saying it's like we the people from grace life did not endorse this being torn down are you antifa is essentially what he was charging this guy with so i just it's it's very interesting seeing inside of the world of people in this situation and how they see the world and and how they're doing these protests to try and sort of understand and advance this narrative yeah, well, I mean, the, the demonstrations are, are problematic for a number of reasons. Uh, Trevor M says, as I tweeted the other day, this entire fiasco lies squarely on the pastor. You know, Les says this is a monster that's out of control. You know, Terry says, look at all the kids, you know, the kids that are there watching that anger being exposed to this and then the next day being sent to school. I've seen some sort of dismissive and cynical comments from people. I don't blame them, but that have said, you know, hopefully all these kids are being homeschooled. Uh, Lou says, look at them acting like they're somehow tearing down the Berlin Wall. Chad says, yeah, a whole bunch of patriots with their Canadian flags flying upside down. Western independence flags, American flags. Rod Maldaner has been doing amazing work here. Rob's a longtime uh, video journalist. Uh, you know, we call him shooters. Big camera guy. 
and, and Rod's been on the front lines. A lot of this coverage says, and yet the church, you know, tried to separate themselves from this group on Sunday. He says, well, this is their fit. They have to own all of this. Uh, without them breaking the rules, there's no pre- protest on Sunday. Own it, Grace Life. I agree with Rob, 100%. 100%. Donna, meantime, uh, you know, wants to swerve off onto a different conversation, which is uh, right in my wheelhouse, Donna. I love it. She says, what's your take uh, for those listening outside Alberta? Nathan Cooper, the Speaker of the House, um, and, and we're not going to get into the weeds on what that implies, but basically a speaker uh, who's elected and chosen um, by secret ballot by their peers, both in opposition and in government, um, you know, uh, is takes on a position of, of being uh, neutral and of, of essentially being apolitical. I mean, their job is, is to essentially oversee the goings on of the House. And Nathan Cooper was one of the 17 MLAs. He's a rural MLA out of, out of uh, Three Hills, right? What is it? Three Hills, Old Stidsbury or something like that off the top of my head. I apologize if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, Central Alberta will say um, he signed this letter calling for the end to lockdown measures. And Donna says, what's your take, Ryan, on Speaker Nathan Cooper signing with the other MLAs on ending the lockdown? Uh, Want to let you know, we did reach out to Speaker Cooper uh, to ask him to come on the show. He did respond, which I appreciated. He said, I'm going to let my signing the letter speak for itself. He said, um, I was I, I was representing uh, my constituents. I was not signing as the speaker. Uh, which is a, a little rose-colored glasses for me on the interpretation. Uh, you are the speaker, so whatever you sign, you are signing as the speaker. Um, but uh, I will say this. He walked it back yesterday. He released a video saying that, that in, in hindsight, he, he regrets um, you know, signing his name to something that has, that has obviously become so political. Donna, to answer your question, what's my take on it? Um, I actually agree with Jason Kenney. I think that, uh, that Nathan Cooper needs to resign as speaker. I think that's what needs to happen. So... Um, you know, and I mean, there are other avenues. I was I was hearing from some politicos that were kind of getting into what would have to happen, and there'd have to be a non-confidence motion. Essentially, I don't even know if they call it that, but it would have to be supported by the NDP and the United Conservatives, and it's probably unlikely to happen. Um, my thought, to cut to the chase, is that Speaker Nathan Cooper needs to resign as Speaker. Um, he can stay on his MLA all he likes, but I think he's compromised the office. Uh, also wanted to get to this email from Michelle before we get into a conversation. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. It's it's at a record high right now. And there's also believe some people a real threat to the future of Bitcoin. And that is the digital currency that China is rolling out. Adam O'Brien, the founder and CEO of Bitcoin. Well, is going to join us in a few minutes. But I, I love this from Michelle, who heard our interview yesterday with Kelly Keene. The personal finance educator, Kelly's written, I think, 10 books, and uh, she was on the show giving us some advice about these 53% of Canadians. This MNP survey found that 53% of Canadians say that they're within 200 bucks, 200 bucks or less from insolvency at any given time. That at any given time, if they experienced an interruption to their income, they'd be in a position where they could not meet all of their monthly obligations. And so we brought Kelly on for some, basically some, some uh, troubleshooting tips on if you find yourself in a position where everything's that tight, where your, your head's just above water, you know, what are some of the things we can keep in mind? What are some tips? What are some, you know, what's, what's the pro tip, essentially? Michelle says, I wanted to write in about Kelly. Well, I think she was great. Um, I think you guys, both of you, totally missed the mark in regards to the story that you were addressing. And that is that 53% of Canadians are $200 away from insolvency. Michelle says, I'm sorry, but that statistic is dire. And it shows that there's a fundamental flaw with our whole system. You know, what that 53% doesn't need is financial advice on how to cut the cable or watch their spending on avocado toast. 
bringing on a financial expert to address this is like taking a garden hose to a burning apartment tower. She says, I've also heard you mention a few times, Ryan, that you don't believe we should tax the wealthy. I'll get back to that. Um, That income redistribution isn't necessary. But over the last 30 to 40 years, that's exactly what's been happening. She says the richer are paying less in tax than ever before. The middle class is being squeezed and everything's getting more expensive. Service fees, insurance, groceries, everything costs more. The wealthy are doing better than ever. The poor are suffering. The middle class is shrinking and the pandemic has exaggerated that. The income gap between the top and the rest of the world is one of the biggest problems we face right now. If something else were to happen on top of this pandemic, Canada would collapse if 53% of its citizens suddenly hit the ditch. It's a catastrophe in the making. Michelle says, I'd love to see you dig deeper into this. Instead of focusing on micro issues like watching one's spending for one month a year to find trends, look at the big picture of how our system is deeply flawed and contributing to how we got here. And keep up the great work, she says. That from Michelle. These are some of my favorite kind of emails. I love this. Um, It also provides insight into how some people may perceive some of the things that I've said, where she says, it kind of jumped out at me. I went, what? When she says, I've heard you mention a few times, you don't believe we should tax the wealthy. And I kind of went, I don't know about that, but I have said some things that I know that, that some people have taken issue with. For example, when I've supported, as I have for years, I remember the first time that I was asked this question, it was, it was, it was on the radio, it was live on a phone call, it was before, it was while Jim Prentice was Premier of Alberta, which means it was early 2015. So this is like six years ago, and someone said, what would you do if you were Premier? And I said, flat tax and sales tax. So I've been saying that for about six years on the record, and probably longer off the record. And some people have reached out and said, you know, a sales tax punishes the poor more than anybody else. And a flat tax allows the wealthy to get off the hook and they don't pay their fair share. And I think that there's a great argument to be had around that. And I'm not afraid of having those arguments. I love that. As a matter of fact, what I'd really love to do is we, we continue what we've been doing for a long time, which is bring on experts and I'll just moderate the conversation. And sometimes guests will say, that's a really good point, Ryan. And sometimes guests will very diplomatically say, I think you're a little off on that one, Ryan. And then we can all learn from a real expert, not from me, right? I've never put a provincial or federal budget together. Quite frankly, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I have strong opinions, but I love when viewers or listeners like Michelle reach out and say, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. And I'd like to dig deeper into that. And I think we should focus more on that. And I think it's a great idea. And we are. We have uh, some, some great interviews coming up. Uh, we had a guest that was going to join us today. I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, a, a nationally recognized voice on, on real estate, property values, trends, banking. He's going to be a great guest. He's sick. He's like, I can barely talk. He's like, my throat's screwed. I said, hey, you get, I said, get well, pal. We'll get you on the show when we can. That's one example. That's one example of the conversations we'll have around this. And let, let me also point out that one of the things uh, that Michelle does is it reminds us what's resonating with people and what the priorities of the audience are. And this is so important to us. 
We want this show to be a show that you go to every single day because you're trying to make sense of a story and you want to be able to trust the platform. You know that if we're going to bring somebody on here, that they come from a position of credibility and they might help you better sort out the issue that that seems a little obfuscated, the one that seems a little cloudy. And I'm right there with you. So, Michelle, the way that you challenge this show, the way you hold our feet to the fire, the way that you make positive suggestions, uh, totally appreciated. And thank you for that. And please do keep the emails coming to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Adam O'Brien's coming up in just a quick second. Wanted to remind you that today's a great day to treat yourself at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park. You don't have to wait for the weekend to go grab a dipped cone or a Sunday. Plus, it's a great time to celebrate. I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but if you're where we are right now, the sun is shining, the temperature is climbing, there is reason for optimism, and as I'm realizing I'm saying this, I'm calling on another snowstorm. Well, either way, Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are wide open through their drive throughs for you, plus using your favorite delivery app. Make sure you let them know that you're a real talker. They love hearing from you guys. The team at Park Power powers our hashtag at RealTalkRJ. They're in the internet, electricity, and natural gas game. I know that a whole bunch of you are going to parkpower.ca and saving $70 on your first bill by using the promo code 2021-RealTalk. I also know that a bunch of you think it's a great idea, but you're not getting off your butts and doing it. Why not? parkpower.ca right now today it's a quick and easy changeover if you're in the province of alberta you're entitled to pay whoever you want for your power you're entitled to go and shop the market for natural gas right especially for internet so why not see what the team at park power can do for you at parkpower.ca also a big shout out to the team at kubi energy tesla certified journeyman electrician and electrical apprentices as their installers in bc and alberta offices headquartered out of edmonton also in kamloops they do everything from the small like the summer vacation property installs all the way up to big new home builds even industrial complexes they did the edmonton convention center the whole outside of it is this awesome solar installation that was jake and his team at kubi renewable energy you can find them online at kubienergy.ca Well, if you're following Bitcoin and if crypto is on your radar, I don't have to tell you that right now Bitcoin is booming. It's kind of been the story of the past number of months. And I know a lot of people are trying to figure out, okay, is this for real now? Because if it is, and if the experts like the ones at Bloomberg that are saying that Bitcoin is going to be almost double where it's at right now within a year, I got to get in on this. And then you're following another story about China's digital currency and how it could bury Bitcoin. And you're going, okay, well, which is right? Adam O'Brien is the founder and CEO of Bitcoin Well, the presenting sponsor of this program. And it's always a real pleasure to connect with you, my man. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I, so I, 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 it's kind of funny when we talk about the price of Bitcoin, I always have to hit refresh right before I... T- okay, well, here, it just went up $1,100 since when I opened the page at the beginning of the show, and now it's here trading. As we speak <laughs> as we speak right now, at this minute, uh, by the time someone listens to the podcast, it'll probably be different, but just a hair under 80 grand, uh, 80 grand Canadian uh, for Bitcoin. People were thrilled when it was at 45 grand, and then what was it a year ago? It was at 3,500. So how are you making... You're a real even keel guy so how are you processing what you're seeing right now it's funny even keel is not something that uh, most people would use to describe me i usually get described as uh, frantic and 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 a little bit um off the edge <laughs> you are you are like you are like the marriage of excitability and even keel 
And, 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 and what I mean by, let me say this, cause you're very enthusiastic. You're hilarious. You're a big personality and I love being in a room with you, but you're also like, I've seen, I've talked to you personally when Bitcoin has plummeted and I've talked to you when it's surged and the smile is on your face in both circumstances. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I do have a pretty big picture of you for Bitcoin. Bitcoin to me is not something that you buy and then sell in a month or in a, a year even. Uh, Bitcoin is a savings plan to me. I think I've said that on your show before, Ryan. It's it's a savings plan and not an investment. Um, but certainly, I mean, $80,000 Bitcoin is a lot better than $8,000 Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, in 2013, 14, 15, uh, even 2016, an $8,000 Bitcoin was just, you know, out of left field. It was never going to happen. Um, I remember conversations I had with a buddy. We were sitting at Credo uh, downtown. Bitcoin was 256 US dollars. I'll never forget it. And him and I sat there and we were like, maybe this is all Bitcoin is. Um, clearly not. <laughs> clearly it was both of our our junior, um, our junior nest to, to Bitcoin. But here we are, you know, further understanding the economics behind it and, and further understanding why Bitcoin is the way it is. Um, and frankly, I think $80,000 Canadian is cheap for a Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of the experts are talking about. And, and, and right now, Adam, what I think is, is maybe, you know, compelling, we've been, we've been spending all show today talking about credibility and talking about how to determine what's, what's a perspective worth considering what might not be. And for a lot of people that, that has everything to do with who is saying something. And they say, they may say, well, my buddy's been bold on Bitcoin since he bought a whole bunch of it for 400 bucks 10 years ago. Um, but now that Forbes is writing about it and Bloomberg's talking about it and, and right now, these are these are like the definitive voices. We, we, we might call them the legacy voices of financial commentary, and they're starting to talk about it. That, in my mind, with regards to public opinion, is a bit of a game changer. Yeah, the funny thing about credibility too, especially in this space, is that credibility is another term for lack of liability. And like, you know, Forbes has been infamously, you know, trying to trash Bitcoin. Uh, Warren Buffett, the same thing. There's a great website that popped up and I'll send it to you later, Ryan, so you can look at it. It's like bitcoinisdead.lol or some funny website URL like that. Um, and it showcases all of what these credible sources have been saying about Bitcoin over time. Um, credibility from my standpoint is absolutely who and, and um, you know, the accomplishments behind who, but next to that, it's what, and uh, your buddy owning a bunch of Bitcoin at $400 and being bullish on it. That's just obvious. Just like the guy that wins a bunch of money at the casino loves that casino because that's his slot machine is the best one. But Somebody talking about why Bitcoin is valuable because of X, Y, Z, because of the economic properties, because of the monetary policies behind um, the reason of value. I think that goes a long way as well. Uh, Forbes saying Bitcoin can never work is kind of like me saying Bitcoin absolutely can work. Um, but when I say Bitcoin can work because it has sound money principles, because it has the economic freedom that the majority of our world, I mean, I just heard 200 Two, or the majority, 53% of Canadians are within 200 bucks of insolvency. That's due to a lack of economic and a lack of monetary principles that we teach in our society and that our society holds to be true. And so Bitcoin comes in and fixes that to an extent. Um, those are the reasons why I like Bitcoin, not just because um, of the of the value of it today. I, I want to circle back. How does Bitcoin 
first of all, what economic principles, this is obviously a matter of opinion, this will be your opinion, but what, what economic principles do you, do you think uh, have contributed, you're talking big picture, to a situation now where more than half of Canadians say that they're in real financial hot water, uh, they're on thin ice, so to speak, and, and how do you think Bitcoin addresses whatever you would identify as the problem? So we live in a society that incentivizes spending because we all like we all have accepted inflation. We all accept that our hundred dollars today will not be worth hundred dollars tomorrow. And we've accepted the fact that in order to combat that, we have to gamble with it or invest it, or we have to spend it as fast as possible. So we get the maximum bang for our buck. And you see this throughout society. You know, no one really talks about what a car costs anymore. Cars cost X amount biweekly. Um, I went to go buy a car a few years ago, quite a few years ago, um, and I asked him how much it costs. And he told me how much it costs biweekly. And I said, no, how much does it cost? And he didn't know. He had to go check how much the car costs because all he knew, all he was taught to talk about was the biweekly payment. Um, you know, you, you can finance a couch. I buy a t-shirt online and I can pay for it in three low monthly payments of $8. Um, we live in a society that is, is taught and incentivized to overspend and to overextend themselves because what's eight bucks? What's another hundred bucks? But when you look at the real picture, um, that's damaging to a society that gets over leveraged. Now, how Bitcoin fixes that, Bitcoin runs in a sound money principle or in a way that um, we are incentivized to save because Bitcoin, you can, if the last 10 years are any indication of, of Bitcoin's value, you can assume Bitcoin will be worth a lot more next year than this year. Imagine how stupid I feel for buying a car at $5,000 Bitcoin, right? <laughs> that car has now cost me 15 times more than it should have. <laughs> do you know why, do you know why I, I don't feel sorry for you one bit is because I've, I've already told the story that you offered me for Bitcoin to host an event four years ago and I took the cash instead like an absolute idiot. So uh, so I don't feel sorry for you in your car. But be, you know what, Adam, in all seriousness, it's a great point that you're making. It's it, it's it's the idea of being like like the 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 currency do you call it yeah it's cryptocurrency i mean i guess you can call it currency or whatever whatever you want to call it but the the entity itself is the savings plan whereas cash is not a savings plan that's exactly right we we have to with our existing money like there are people that are trained gamblers that have to invest our money for us because we know our money will not be worth as much as it is today in 5 in 10 in retirement years Whereas Bitcoin holds a deflationary principle, which means there will only ever be a capped amount and there is less of it that gets introduced into the market over time. This is exactly the opposite of our fiat money. And these types of principles are what give it the scarcity needed to continue having that price rise. You look at like housing and property. The reason housing and property and land goes up is because there's a finite amount. And that argument falls down a little bit because you can always build up. Uh, cities continue to expand, yada, yada, yada. Um, but there's a reason that, you know, land is a better investment than just, you know, bills and, and cash. And that's because land, there's only so much of it. Uh, whereas money, I mean, we've seen there's 70% of the M0 money supply in Canada has been printed since April of 2020. So in the last 12 months, 70% of money in circulation was printed, which is very, very problematic. That is a hyperinflationary state. Uh, you look at what happens to hyper hyperinflationary states like Zimbabwe, uh, you, you just 
it falls down. It doesn't work very good. So like, let me, let me point out the obvious. And by the way, you're getting a bunch of tough questions on the live chat, which I know you love, and we're going to get into these, uh, you invite them. And then a bunch of people, uh, curious about the flamethrower in the background. So, so we'll, we'll get to that at some point. Um, I'm assuming if you had any problem talking about it, you wouldn't have put it on camera on real talk. So, so fair game, but, uh, but, but let me, let me point out the obvious as well, which is that Bitcoin or, or any crypto is not guaranteed to keep rising and so we cannot guarantee that it's you know it's a great savings plan because it's guaranteed to rise in so many ways as it has done in the past it could plummet it could become irrelevant like many other things i mean i just watched a really fascinating documentary about blockbuster video i'm not trying to draw parallel lines between the two but what has once been mighty is not guaranteed to always remain that way i mean it needs to be pointed out Absolutely. And I think, too, you know, I don't mind that comparison, actually, because it showcases that the legacy system that was once there that chose not to innovate, that chose to continue doing the same thing over and over and over again, got absolutely demolished by something that came in with better principles and did it better in Netflix. I think that Bitcoin is the Netflix of money. I think that Bitcoin is the email of communication. I think that Bitcoin is the Twitter of social media. I think that as we look at our legacy traditional finance system, we've seen them overprint money. We've seen them have uh, really, really reckless policies in terms of how money is introduced into, into society and how we, how we facilitate the ability to access that money. And Bitcoin does the exact opposite of that. So I would say that Bitcoin is actually the newer technology. And you're right, in the last 10 years, year and year, time and time again, Bitcoin has continually increased. If you zoom out on that graph, it is like this. Uh, there is a bunch of this in the middle. And so you definitely have to make sure, like I said at the top there, it's not something you buy and sell in a month for massive gains. It's not something you remortgage the house for in order to make a quick buck. This is a long-term kind of journey into what financial sovereignty could be. And I think that uh, recognizing that, doing the research into what you believe in terms of like philosophically what you believe money should be, um, I think that's what kind of makes, makes Bitcoin an interesting uh, point of view. One of the Bloomberg uh, pieces that I was uh, taking a look at, um, it was published just on Sunday. Uh, Salisha Mosin is the journalist um, talking about how the president's team, Biden's team, is eyeing what they're calling a uh, potential threat uh, from China's digital currency that's just been introduced. Heidi's got an interesting question that kind of ties into this in our live chat. She wonders if you think that Bitcoin is endeavoring or aiming to be the new gold standard. I've seen some financial commentators say that they think that that the the U.S. dollar has not they think I think it's undeniable, but the U.S. dollar has enjoyed a privileged position um, as the standard uh, and that this could change or this could flux the idea of China's digital currency is prompting so many spinoff conversations, uh, including uh, to some commentators suggesting that 2022 Olympic boycotts could be based in part on the implications of a digital currency at the Olympic Games, which is wild. I have to imagine you're keeping an eye on this story. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's important to remember what money is. And there's a difference between money and cash. Um, what China's digital currency is, is cash. It's a centrally controlled, unlimited supply of something that holds value. Um, 
that is just, we already have that in Canada. We have a Canadian digital currency. It's called the Canadian dollar, right? When, you know, the sponsors of this show, I, I doubt are dropping off bags of money. Um, and if they are, don't say it on the air because you'll probably get a few visitors to the <laughs> office. Uh, but likewise, no one's paying their rent in cash. No one's buying their groceries in cash. I mean, especially right now, we already have a digital currency. Um, the reason Bitcoin is so valuable and Bitcoin is so promising is because it holds the monetary policy that all of those centrally issued currencies don't hold, which is the fact that it's deflationary and that it's scarce. And those two things, I think, will forever be the outlier for Bitcoin's value. So what do you make of China's plans for a digital yuan? Like what, 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 like the experts are saying it could topple the dollar as the world's dominant reserve currency. Um, others are saying that th- this I mean, and here's this comes back to the Olympic Games idea. Um, is it a requirement uh, to have to be able to access or, or spend, let's say, that digital currency could be part of a plan? It comes across if, 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 if a pleb, a, a civilian like me tries to explain the concern, it's going to come across as, as a conspiracy theory because I should probably have somebody in a tweed coat and a bow tie explaining it. But basically, the Coles notes People are saying this is the greatest way to get it to spread, to get it to become more prolific, more prominent around the world is to introduce it at one of the, the, the world's biggest gatherings, one of the probably the world's most you know, high profile gathering, that type of a thing. What sort of an implication do you think that China's digital currency will have uh, on other uh, federal currencies and, and on global markets? Yeah, so that's where I see it being uh, a lot a, a different conversation because, you know, the Chinese won against Bitcoin are apples and oranges, but definitely the first country, the first you know global superpower to uh, issue a token, which is what the digital or the digital U.S. dollar will be, um, is a digital token that can be transferred peer to peer or in some fashion of peer to peer. That's going to put the biggest threat on the global kind of monetary policy. Right now, U.S. dollars holds you know, title as the reserve currency, so to speak, because it's, it's most widely accepted worldwide. You go to Mexico, you don't even get pesos when you go to Mexico anymore. You just take U.S. dollar. Um, you know, in Europe, not so much. They have the euro. Um, in Australia, definitely not. They're not taking U.S. dollars. But, you know, bigger organizations do accept the U.S. dollar. And that's kind of what their dollar is pegged against. When you're doing an international, international trade, uh, the U.S. dollar is kind of that, that central unit of account. And, Um, that's because it's the easiest to send. Now, it's the easiest of a very, very difficult legacy system in order to send. Bitcoin solves all of that. However, what the digital one was going to be is they're going to have the ability to send that a lot easier in hopes that eventually people start saying, you know what, that US dollar is way too difficult to send. Uh, The unit of account doesn't make sense anymore. Let's change our unit of account over into the digital one yen i'm not sure how to say it properly all i do is read i don't listen well you just say china's digital currency and then you're good but how do you so how do you because i i remember um i'm i'm both young and old i'm i'm a young old guy or i'm an old young guy but i remember the the transition like when the loonie came in right and replaced the dollar bill and the toonie came in and replaced the two dollar bill and it and it was it was it was in, I remember specifically there was an ice cream shop called my favorite ice cream shop in Calgary. Rourke Hilford was the owner. Uh, my dad went to high school with him. He, 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 he was on he was like a national news story because he would not accept loonies. 
He would he would turn people away from his store. He would not accept loonies. And he had like stickers made with like the, it was like the Ghostbuster, but the loony was in there. And it, it was it was comical. But he was like he was serious. He was not joking. He would not accept the loony until something happened. I don't remember what I was a kid. And basically, had it's it's like it's currency. You have to accept it. Um, but people were like, what am I going to carry? coins around now and so this is like the physical manifestation of the conversation like instead of having dollar bills now you had to carry coins um we we've you know and probably way back in the day currency was was what like like beads and other things of value like maybe in the early days it was rocks it was rice it it was yeah it was rice and chickens and cows yeah like whatever so so through human history um, and if we want to get really esoteric we could probably talk pre-humans about what qualified as currency and how people exchanged value but we're, we have seen that evolution. So what do you think? I mean, if we're not even talking Bitcoin or, or is Bitcoin in the mix, like 50 or 100 years from now, like what does it look like? Like nobody has a $100 bill would be nothing 100 years from now, but like $1,000 bills or whatever. Are people going to have bills in their wallets? Are people going to like is everything di- like how do you invent like think big picture way out there a century from now? How are people buying and spending and saving and what does it look like? Yeah, I think that um, like Bitcoin has those properties. Now, you know, everyone like you talked about credibility. Um, I've been in this industry for eight years. I would like to think I'm fairly credible. Ryan, I'll let you speak to that. But, you know, I'm also biased because I'm in the Bitcoin industry. So just, you know, it's important. That's, I think, uh, to that's obvious that. and implied. That's obvious <laughs> okay, and implied. <laughs> Everybody has a bias. You, you're a big Bitcoin guy. That's there you go. So I think that. uh I believe in a world that knows no financial borders. It is it is ridiculous that to go to the States, you have to go through a process of getting a different currency. I, I find that laughable. That is that is incredibly archaic and and unnecessary by any sense of the imagination. If you and I wanted to go to Europe, the biggest barrier would not be traveling these 7,000 kilometers or however many kilometers is going to be. It's not, you know, defying the laws of gravity and flying through the planes to get there. It's how much is my bank going to charge me to get a different currency? It's ridiculous. Um, So I, I definitely think that a financial borderless society is, I'm not talking 50, I'm talking one, five, 15 years down the road. Um, I think that our society is definitely understanding the benefits of what borderless communication sees. And it's only a matter of time before we realize the benefits of borderless money. And like definitely Bitcoin has borderless money. A Chinese digital currency will not be borderless money because it's going to be centrally issued or centrally um, controlled. And um, centralized currencies just cannot be borderless. That's just it just isn't how it works. I don't know the background of this question, so I don't I, I, I wish I could ask it more with a bit of a preamble. But but Heidi's wondering if you think that Bitcoin adds to wealth disparity. Wealth disparity. Uh, so like, I think that anyone can get involved in Bitcoin. Um, I think that Bitcoin is inclusive and not exclusive, meaning um, if you want to get a job right now, you need to have a bank account to get paid. No employers paying cash. In fact, it's frowned upon by the government. Uh, you can't pay your taxes in cash. The government does not want using 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 cash. So get a job, you need to have a bank account. But to get a bank account, you have to go through this permission system with an address. So if you're homeless and you have no address and you can't get a job, it's this consistent negative feedback loop, um, which is a problem in my opinion. 
And so I do think that from that aspect, creating an inclusive system that anyone can, can participate in, if you own Bitcoin, you have a vote in how the monetary policy is distributed. Um, that definitely is a, is a big step towards, um, I think, income disparity. I think income disparity is Heidi the same um, lady that asked the, or the, had the comments about your hot take on, uh, on, on no tax for rich people. Um, and, and if so, I don't think income disparity is going to be um, quite addressed in that way, but I think that it's like, it's leaps and bounds better in an inclusive system than what we currently see today. Um, we've got some questions on the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. I know that you've talked about this before on the show, but I know that you're, you'll be happy to address it again. And and a lot of people are also talking about, I've heard this from, and this is a really interesting angle, gamers uh, or like like coder. Sam just like popped up in his eyes. <laughs> but you know, oh, I know exactly what you're about to talk about. Well, well, why don't you put it to Adam? Because you know what I'm talking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. Hey, Adam. Uh, so I'm, I am a professional video editor and I can't get an NVIDIA Quattro to save my life because all the Bitcoin miners and all the Ethereum miners are buying them up. Okay, explain so to the up? audience, but what is that? An NVIDIA Quattro is a really high-end graphics card. Um, Bitcoin mining is an algorithm that's very GPU-intensive, so if you do things like gaming or editing video, you need a high-quality graphics processor in your computer. Uh, it is also the same piece of computer hardware that's learned used in, uh, writ large, a lot of cryptocurrency mining. We're not just talking about limited to, to a couple of different ones. Why can't um, manufacturers make more of those, though? Like, I don't know, Adam. Do you have a take on this? Do you know? Is this... Well, it's, I mean, there's a, there's, there's without question, there's a raw material shortage. The storms in Texas had like my, my, my dad um, owns a road construction. He, he, he sells road paint or is his, is his main product and road paint this year is like impossible to get because of the raw materials shortage in Texas uh, because of the winter storms in Texas. So like raw materials that go into manufacturing are, I didn't realize this, like the, lots of what we own and use today is built and made in some fashion from Texas. So when Texas gets closed down, everything kind of gets ruined. But manufacturers can absolutely make more. Manufacturers don't want to make more because with an increased demand and a limited supply gives better pricing. Um, there's also just like economies of scale. You know, the factory can only pump out so many. So like from a manufacturing standpoint, that's one thing. I take your point, Sam, that, you know, as a video editor needing video cards, and having an industry come up and gobble all those up because they can make you know money off of that is a bad thing. But taking a step back, does that not mean, and I apologize, Ryan, you could charge more for your services because now your costs have increased. All right, all right, and so all right. now all right, you right. are more valuable. Your <laughs> machine is more valuable uh, because of the cards that are existing in there. But then this and, is but then this is contributing to inflation, which is not necessarily the greatest thing. Well, inflation to an extent. Um, but I think that when it's when it's hyper, you know, down to a specific industry or down to one specific item, it's not inflation. It's that item getting more valuable, um, you know, because just because uh, the graphics card is more money. And so now Sam is, is is more valuable or his services are more valuable. The microphone is not necessarily more valuable. Uh, the the space that you're in is not more valuable. The art behind is not more valuable. So I think that inflation, you know, is kind of when everything increases in price because of something else decreasing, which is money. Um, and so I would push the same kind of question back, you know, Amazon comes in, builds that two and a half million square foot uh, building here in Edmonton. And now there's no steel and no wood in Edmonton because it's all going to Amazon. Um, I think that, you know, that happens in every industry. It's, 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 it's funny. I think that it can happen in, 
in, you know, subsets because of Bitcoin. But I think that's kind of just the way economies work. Uh, no one's upset that the toilet flusher no longer has a job because of a flushing toilet. And when you look, you know, the taxi and Uber debate um, throughout time, innovation has caused ripples throughout what we know to be legacy um, type of systems. And I think that this graphics card is kind of a, a blip in time that uh, that will eventually even itself out. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I'm coming from a, a traditional broadcast media background, having worked in newspaper as well. I mean, those are two other classic examples. Um, yeah. Interesting comments going on here on the text line. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, some of some of these points, uh, shots against Bitcoin. Uh, I, I just I don't know if they're legit. Like, you know, someone says, well, you know, poor people can't afford a computer to buy Bitcoin. I kind of I mean. Well, you can like to that point, like you can have Bitcoin on a $20 smartphone. Like, sure. Bitcoin can be held anywhere. Yeah, that's I'm just saying that. And I'm not trying to be dismissive of of the concern. Um, Like, you know, but I just I I think that that's a little bit. It just feels to me to be a stretch, to be honest, that part, that angle on it feels like me to be a a bit of a stretch. Um, Let's talk about the the environmental impact of this. This I'm not going to try to explain what Bitcoin mining is. And I think that people's eyes might glaze over, even if someone as compelling as you, Adam, tries to describe it. But basically, the (laughs) idea is that it's known that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin, but it's not all yet been mined, which means that massive servers like towers of servers um, are, are constantly mining Bitcoin. And it is a huge draw on the power grid. And a lot of people are concerned about the eco impact of Bitcoin mining. I know you've been on the show before. People have heard your past interviews. You've talked about the ecological impact of mining for gold and you've drawn a comparison there. But but what do you say to people that, that come in or that talk to you on the street or that hit you up on social media, Twitter, YouTube, otherwise, and present that valid concern about the environmental impact of all of this? Definitely. I, w- I think that Bitcoin is the only industry that uh, the entire industry, Bitcoin mining, sorry, the entire industry is incentivized to find greener, cheaper power. Um, you know, like you, like you said, the the comparison to gold is 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 very good. I'm sure that like an electric, uh, y- you know, excavator would be um, beneficial for the environment. The technology is not quite there yet, but let's say it gets there. Even that's fine. Um, I would I would argue though that there is no way to mine gold without ruining the earth, hard stop. Um, there is a future in Bitcoin mining where 100% of Bitcoin mining is done through solar power, in which case there is exactly 0% uh, eco impact. And I think that when you think about that, there's no other industry in the world that has an opportunity to be 0% eco impact. Um, we, could, we could literally have Bitcoin mining done through solar or wind or renewable sources. And that would be a benefit to the organizations. You look at like oil and gas producers have to pay money in order to be eco-conscious. Bitcoin miners are actually incentivized because the cost of their product decreases. Now it's a bigger infrastructure cost, of course, but when the cost of your ongoing product decreases, that's a net positive for the industry. And that is something that that Bitcoin has and that, and that, and that holds true. I wish people could see, um, my my uh, Google searches while we're doing shows like live searches, um, because I think it would it would be pretty funny for that would actually be a great Twitter account is just my Google searches during a live show. But I'm <laughs> I'm Googling right now how much nickel is in a Canadian nickel, because uh, I'm just I'm just curious if we want to talk about ecological impacts of currency. Um, 
I don't even know. I mean, I have no idea. So I'm reading it right now. The larger base metal version made of nickel called a nickel introduced in 1922 uh, originally contained 99.9% nickel. Nickel metal. These coins were magnetic originally due to the high nickel content. I mean, it's just one example. It's it's not exactly like, you know, a fastball that's going to end the inning here. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, if you want to start talking about ecological impacts of currencies, um, you know, I mean, how many trees have fallen? I don't even know how they make dollar bills anymore. I think that now they're supposed plastic, to be plastic. Man. You can't rip them it's now. Like, you know, you can't. But, yeah, they're plastic. They're, they're not biodegradable or there's, they're, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not good for the environment, with not, let alone the, like, you look at, you know, a credit card or a, a, an ID card, like, how many credit cards does the average person have? I mean, it's it's got to be more than one, more than two. We so all, there's, we are all, million, dis- yeah, we're destroying the environment, every single one of us. We are. We are. I mean, like, I, I just Bitcoin look around. Bitcoin doesn't have anything to do with that. I, no, I'm not putting it on Bitcoin or anybody else. This is just a moment of introspection. When, when people are want to talk about the environmental impact of Bitcoin, which I think is a great question, a fair question, we should ask about the environmental impact of everything. Um, and it's part of what we talk about. You know, we took out our garbage and recycling is picked up on Tuesdays. So I put it out this morning and I, I'm just looking at our recycling. I mean, we feel like we're doing our part, I guess, a little bit um, by at least like patting myself on the back for separating garbage and recycling. But um, if you look at even just the packaging, I feel like it's my once a week reminder of how much packaging we use and how much garbage we create. And you look down the alley and you're like, gosh, there's a, this is just our street. And we're just just we just consume this. is This is like my moment of like, this is me, the philosopher. This is me, the annoying guy with his shirt off and an acoustic guitar on a Hawaiian beach with three people sitting around listening to his great takes on life. But like we all just consume so much, you know, it's just we do. That's, there's nothing. It's not a question. Absolutely. It's not a question. It's just a statement. Can you can you show us? Can you? Like, can we fire up this flamethrower behind you as before we say goodbye? Like, what, what's what's the actual deal with this thing? I don't think I got any. Uh, okay, ready? Yeah. What is what is it? First of all, oh, it's uh, it's it's Elon Musk's thing. Yeah. Um, I uh, I bought three of these when they first came out. So he made I think like thirty or fifty thousand of these. Okay. And sold them, and they're just really. Really hilarious. I'm not sure if I'll uh, back up so we can see it. Yeah, 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 fire it up. Oh, (laughs) jeez. It's uh, (laughs) live on Real Talk, baby. (laughs) Live on Real Talk. Your home temperature just the temperature inside your house just went up two and a half degrees in in a half a second. Yeah, that kind of felt nice. Actually, it's it's kind of chilly down here, so it uh, that 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 was pretty good. You just (laughs) use that to start the barbecue, or what do you use that to start campfires? Oh yeah, it's mostly a gimmick and a toy. It's it's a it's a great fire starter. Um, you know, big pallets and and you know dead brush and whatever. Yeah, a little bit of gas, and it just uh, yeah goes to town. Amazing. Uh, man, every time I talk to you, I end up with my face hurts from smiling. Appreciate your passion. Love uh, the way you try to make things accessible and understandable uh, to those of us that don't do this as our job. Uh, thanks for making time for us today. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And as always, happy to come back. Thanks, buddy. You can uh, follow Adam. He's got his own YouTube channel and you can follow him on Twitter as well. Adam O'Brien underscore. Uh, of course, I link to him on my tweet every morning. We tell you guests are coming on the show and you can find more about Bitcoin. Well, under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Also wanted to remind you that we're so grateful to be partnering with the team at Westworld Computers. Uh, we told you yesterday about one of the real talkers that reached out to Sylvan Lake. 
needed a charging cable for a, a, a MacBook back from 2013. And bing, bang, boom, they connected with Westworld on Twitter and we saw it shipped out same day. Love it. Kareen, let us know how that goes. Daryl and his team have been proud of the customer service that they've put out there for more than 40 years as an independent family-owned business, bringing you the best of the Apple Mac lineup. And of course, they have their discounted, gently pre-owned lineup as well with all the software when it's applicable, reinstalled, and the warranty reapplied. Go check out Westworld Computers. Also, a big shout out to the team at Alta Moving and Storage. If this spring means a move for you, look no further than Alta Moving and Storage. They're proud to be owned and operating, employing local folks, which means that the neck of the woods you're in, you may have some specific, unique concerns. They want to solve those problems with you, and they won't stop until you're happy. These pod-style moving containers, they drop them off. You can fill them up at your leisure, and then they'll pick them up, drop them off, at your new destination, you take your time, you take the stress out of it. And if you want some hired hands as well, some some hired labor, they can provide that too. Of course, long and short-term storage as well at Alta Moving and Storage. So did that, did that address or did that adequately answer your question? The audience would quickly realize, Sam, that the reason we get you to ask those questions is because I'm not intellectually capable of understanding don't think the implications the on the video. No, of course, you can be humble on, on the video editing uh, community and on the gaming community and otherwise. But did Adam's comment or his interpretation of it address your concern? I mean, I think that the gist of what Adam said, which, which is true for all products out there, is that, you know, if you sell a service that requires a certain piece of equipment and that piece of equipment goes up, you can charge more for your services. And that's kind of where he was going with that. Um, yeah, a bunch of scarcity in the video card market has been created by, you know, a rush for people to get into crypto mining. Um, and that's probably not going away anytime soon. Um, Adam and I might have very different different things. He, he sort of cites a little bit of like supply issues. But I also know three, four years ago when crypto was really, really starting to rise, like that's when the crunch on graphics cards, that's when you go into a, a, a shop and they're like limit one per customer, limit two per customer. That's when all those signs went up. So this has been a persistent issue for a few years and, and, and I don't think is going away. I think that... You know, where Adam landed and where I think we're all kind of landing is we just sort of actually accept, okay, GPUs have another use now. It was this thing that had this narrow scope of uses. Now we've added this other use to it. It's going to create more demand for this product. So, you know, just like if everybody decided to suddenly get into road construction, there'd be a run on shovels Um, to kind of use an Adam O'Brien analogy. And then... I started looking at his flamethrower and trying to figure out if I could build one, but we'll put up. Oh, geez, right please, now. please be careful. Um, I have to say things like real talk does not condone, endorse or encourage anybody to construct their own butane or propane or other fuel. It was fired. propane. I saw it. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got a buddy that builds uh, potato guns. Oh, those are so and, fun. Uh, and, and if you're, if you're lucky enough at a, at a mile marker birthday, like at your 25th or your 30th or your 40th or whatever, he will show up with a custom built potato gun for you. And but it's it's always given me the heebie jeebies a little bit. I won't explain exactly how you build them because I don't want to be responsible. Um, but th- there's a lot of sort of like that. Yeah, I won't either. There's a lot of just like you spray a little bit of this in here and screw it on. And then you fire the igniter switch and you make sure you're not standing in front of it. And it's kind of like somebody's going to get I don't know. You could probably could get killed by a potato if it hits you. If, if, if it hits you in the you could absolutely yeah. get killed if it by hits a you with enough velocity in the right place from close enough uh, death by potato would be a real um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm frantically trying to think of a great pun, but you know, I can think of better ways to get mashed. Would that be? Oh, good. Um, you know, you know, you'd be fraught. No, these I'm trying too hard. Uh, Kim says with Bitcoin, I, I, I just don't get how something that literally is mined and needs servers is an intangible thing. I can't see or touch or control the value of it. It's tangible and it's intangible. Um, Kim, you are not alone. I, I'm still I still try to I learn something every time that Adam comes on. I appreciate it. Michelle says, is digital currency corruptible by like really smart computer or math people? Michelle says, seriously, I know nothing. This is where blockchain comes into it. And and blockchain and Adam's gone now. But but blockchain basically is is like a it's like a database. And, and they're they're blocks that hold digital information. When the block fills, they add another one to the chain. But it's decentralized. So everybody can see the nobody can change the blockchain like you can't go if you're if you're like the senior VP of the bank and you go in and like change someone's bank balance on the computer and nobody sees you do it. And then it's your word against theirs. Um, this can't happen that way. Blockchain is decentralized. Right. Which, yeah. And, and I mean, as I understand blockchain, it, it's like blockchain and cryptocurrency need to be put in kind of separate buckets here because blockchain is the underlying principle behind cryptocurrency blockchain basically just says we have a bunch of information and we're not going to store it in one place we're going to put this information simultaneously in copies of itself on servers all over the world so that if one person tries to change it yeah. there will be all of these existing files that say no that's not the real change and blockchain is an incredibly powerful computing technology that so much of the world is starting to run on Bitcoin, I think, just kind of made blockchain popular. Yeah, Bitcoin uses blockchain, but Correct. blockchain is used already. I mean, by a, a ton, ton, ton of, of applications. Yeah. And like Cyber Neon says uh, in our live chat right now, think of blockchain as Internet 2.0. We will all be way more familiar with blockchain in years to come. I think safe to say. Uh, what a show. We're already uh, well two hours in, uh, two hours plus, and uh, we're going to leave some stuff on the table for tomorrow. It's going to be a great show tomorrow. We're going to talk to a couple of uh, a law school students and a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. We're going to talk to a few of them about a rumor have you heard about this a 45 percent tuition Ooh, increase have you heard about this have. at the university of alberta's law school a lot of people are saying it's going to undo a lot of the good work that's been going on around making law the practice of law the industry more equitable more inclusive it may turn off women or, or black and indigenous people of color from studying law these are the types of angles we're going to explore plus other news of the day and more of your emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com thanks for making real talk a part of your day and we'll talk to you soon Gonna